You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back and ready to go. Sponsored by DiabolicDVD.com this week. Mm-hmm. And it was Todd's turn to program, and uh, we'll be doing the uh, Penelope Spears film Suburbia from 1983. Not to be confused with the Richard Link later film, which oh. is the same, but spelled oddly different. With a big U in the middle. Yeah. I like that film, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's uh... I have not. That was uh, Kadoshian, or uh, not Kadoshian, uh, Bogosian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, written, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, originally a play by him, yeah, Eric I Bogosian. Yeah, I believe so, yes. And it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, it's kind of underseen, I think. Uh, and uh, The Taste of Tea from 2003, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Then that's directed by, oh man. So early in the morning, I can barely see. <laughs> Ketsuhito Ishii. There we go. It was easy for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> boom. Yeah, boom. Dropped it right like it's hot. Something. You, that was so hot. You <laughs> dropped it. Uh, fuck it. Never mind. Yeah, I dropped it real hot. <laughs> it was scalding. Uh, as always, we want to thank Diabolic DVD for hooking us up. And uh, these are both on Blu ray. Um, one, you got to have a region free player. Uh, that's the third Windows Films uh, release yes. of Taste of Tea. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's an American release of that. I don't think there is anyway. So I, There was a DVD a long time back, but it's extremely difficult to find yeah. now. Right. And, you know, it's interesting when they release these films, and we'll talk about it more, but it's always interesting to me when people release uh kind of hard to find films because uh, i always wonder financially what it cost them that's what you know anyway being in that game a little bit uh as we were in the past i always wonder um okay uh let's get into what we've been watching this makes sense this is sammy and todd the two guys that rock your world and mm-hmm. 
we're going to talk about movies. That's what we're going to do. Pants on, too. Yeah, that's right. Shorts for me, but we're we're, we're well, done. You know. Yeah, do what you got to do. That's exactly right. <laughs> Any port in a storm, buddy. That's right. <laughs> Fill the hole. That's what. It's uh, <laughs> a life lesson. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into what we've been watching. What you been up to? Uh, yeah, it was a pretty light week for me uh, with uh, Thanksgiving and several other things uh, going on. But uh, eh, you know, a few, a few. Uh, so. I uh, jumped right in, and I caught up with uh, Blood and Flesh, the uh, the Al Adamson uh, documentary from 2019. <laughs> Oddly, um, I watched this as well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I caught that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, anytime you want to jump in, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is by uh, from David Gregory, uh, who is the person who made the Lost Souls uh, documentary about the uh, the making of uh, Richard Stanley's um, Island of uh, Lost Souls, or I'm sorry, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and this one is, uh, it's a pretty interesting Talking Head style documentary. Um, yeah. There's no uh, harsh, overly stylized junk in it. There is a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes footage, and the uh, the participants in the uh, the film are all, are all um, pretty honest about Adamson himself and what they were doing. And of course, they have at, uh, footage of Adamson, uh, so you do get his uh, his voice on a lot of these things. Um, I kind of think that the pacing dies off. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, in about the last 20 minutes or so, yeah. uh, I think maybe had, uh, had they intercut all of the murder stuff, uh, all the way throughout the, uh, the rest of it, it, it may have tightened it up, but then again, you know, maybe that wouldn't have worked at all. Uh, but I, I think this is pretty good as far as these things go. Um, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really glad that it has its own, uh, standalone, uh, release outside of the, uh, the, the box, uh, set from, um. Oh God! Who's the box set from? Uh, Severin. Uh, or... I want to say Severin. Yes, I mean that's okay. who the documentary is produced by. So I want to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then the, the yeah, um, and and you know here's here's a filmmaker who I never would have thought you would see a box set from, uh, <laughs> because you know listen, I have extremely and irrationally fond uh, memories of Dracula versus Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and man, that movie is a fucking dog, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just do, I, I, I loved it when I was a kid, I would sit there and watch it, you know, uh, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon on, uh, at WNEP 16, do, you know, between the hamster races, uh, that they would have on, uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus, uh, but, uh, yeah. No, uh, the sixteen million dollar movie, um, and uh, you know, I would, I would just, I would dig into this fucking thing, and I used to love watching John Bloom uh, get ripped apart at the end by, you know, Zandor Varkov. Um and it, you know, it, of course, I didn't know that John Bloom, you know, was uh, was the guy who would wind up, you know, being in uh, in stuff like Brain of Blood or um, uh, the Incredible Two Headed Transplant, uh, but there it is. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really, I really, really, uh, like this thing. Uh, but like I said, it, it could, it could use a little bit of maybe rethinking, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, um, I'll just chime in now since I'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it again. This is the last thing I watched before we recorded here. I watched it yesterday afternoon and, um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you pretty much on, the on, in, in whole, uh, I like most of the, I mean, it's really well paced up until oddly the end when it probably 
whether you know people like to say this or not, when it probably gets even more interesting because Adamson, there's a lot of great behind the scenes stories, and I love all the stuff about using old Hollywood actors that everybody had stopped using yes, things yeah. like that. And Fred Owen Ray's got a few interesting tidbits in there, and it's great to see people like John Bud Cardos and and all these people that you know if you're a B or maybe a Z grade movie fan. Yeah, about Z grade would probably if you've seen any of Al Adamson's films, um I mean, he may have reached his pinnacle with Satan Sadist and and, and that might have been it. Um <laughs> mm. uh, but he uh and and I and I also have a soft spot for Dracula versus Frankenstein and a few other films that he that he did. Did he do the Did he do the Billy the Kid versus Dracula film? Did he do that one? No, that was uh, that was uh, William Wetchout Bodine. Oh, that was Bodine. That's right. But I mean, it, it's in the same ballpark as these guys, you know, right, Bodine, right, right. Steckler. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, you do have a certain fondness for these guys. Yes, uh, because they took nothing and yes. made something, and you know, yes, uh, varying degrees of quality, no doubt. And I would, it would be hard for me to sit here and argue that any of the films are great by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you, you can't, there's something about the optimism and the, the sheer will to get these things made. That kind of blows me away. And uh, yeah. And I agree with you on this documentary. It's, it's, it's very interesting uh, up until a point. Uh, and then it, when it probably should be, it's most interesting. It kind of starts to drag. Yeah. And um I don't know because it kind, of, know. it kind of wants to, it kind of wants to be two things, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of wants to be this document of the filmmaker, but it also kind of wants to be this true crime kind of thing. Yeah, and when it changes, uh, you know, in a way, gears, yeah, yeah, and when it changes gears, it just doesn't hold your interest. I think because the the love, I think the optimism of everything that happens before it gets to the dark side is yes, it's it's just too it's just too verily different. I mean, it's just way too different. Yes, yes, yes. I still liked it, but you know. No, no, I liked it too. I would definitely recommend it, and it's on uh, Shutter. Yeah, uh, for those of you who have Shutter, so yeah, that's how I watched it. Yeah, I was waiting for it to. I was waiting for it to be free too. So <laughs> yeah. to be perfectly blunt, sort of free. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> free enough. I, I, yeah, I got to, you know, you got to rationalize that fucking eighty dollars a fucking year, right? Yeah, I mean, well, not only that, but I mean, do you, do you, I mean. How many Al Adamson movies have you paid for in your life? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Seeing as how all of them have been on, uh, you know, public uh, television stations, uh, local tel- television uh, stations, uh, zero, and I must say. Yeah, most of them are on YouTube right now, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or for uh, for people who are into uh, MST3K, uh, which I know you're not, but uh, Girl in Gold Boots uh, is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. is a favorite. Yeah. I do think it was interesting in the documentary while we while we're talking about it that once he starts heading toward the UFO stuff, and Sam, yeah, right. Sam that Sherman like weird. Yeah, he just don't want to even talk about it, and I'm like, and nobody does, and everybody's like, get the camera on, and it's like, I'm like, do they, do they are they doing this to kind of sell the the story and try to get this movie out, or I don't know what's going on there. It just it was yeah, awkward. when that stuff when that stuff started coming up, I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Because yeah, you know, weird. like even his his uh, his second uh, wife it starts talking about it, and she's like, she's like yeah. oh, I'm, "I'm saying too much." I'm like, "Really, Yar?" Yeah, that was very strange. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, no, it's worth a watch, definitely. It is no, it's definitely worth a watch. I uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, 
it definitely has, it certainly has flaws. But uh, as far as being a, a wonderful little uh, ode to Al Adamson, uh, you can't do much better, I don't think. Hmm. Uh, but like I said, I mean, I I personally would have probably done things a little bit differently. But uh, but no, for for what this is, absolutely 100. Uh, percent Very 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 good stuff uh, overall. Uh, went on from there to watch uh, Onward and. Uh-huh. Um, this is a pretty straightforward, uh, Disney Pixar film. Yeah. Um, looks great. I, it does look great. Uh, it doesn't really scale any great emotional mountains, but no. uh, you know, it's okay fun and it's mostly harmless for the most part. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the whole thing with the, uh, the half body is, is really, it came off as really morbid, <laughs> uh, and it reeks of weekend at Bernie's. It really does. Um, <laughs> You know, both of the Weekend of Bernie's, actually. I know. Uh, movies. <laughs> it's just fucking, wow, is it weird. Yeah. Uh, I do like that uh, a manticore is one of the major characters. Yes. Uh, and the uh, the dragon uh, that they throw in there is is pretty inventive, actually, and pretty nicely done, yeah. uh, I got to say. Yeah. I, I like the interaction uh, between Chris Pratt and uh, I don't know who the other actor is off the top of my head, but I like the brother relationship. It was... It was no, nice it works, to see that. You don't always it, see the positive. Well, I, th- I think the, the large portion of that is carried by Pratt. I mean, he's yeah. got that natural. He has a very, very natural sort of likability, a charisma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has that, that in uh, it, Even Even when he's only doing voice, obviously. Yep. Yeah. It just comes across, right? Like, you can't get angry with him. Like You really, you really can't. Even as. He really is just a, a wonderful guy. Yeah, as such a, you know, kind of an overt dullard as he kind of is in this. Not, not, <laughs> not, not in a. I, maybe I shouldn't call him that because he's not really that. Well, no, he, he is. But no, he's, he a, he's 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 incredibly like optimistic about everything, and I, I don't know that kind of translates through Chris Pratt too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I could see that. Um, but uh, I, you know, I could see this really appealing to people into D and D, obviously. Yeah. Uh, which feels like I mean, it feels like an odd sort of pandering. Yeah. It does. Uh, in a way, but, you know, I, I assume that Disney knows its demographics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, it was it was okay. Uh, and I'm certainly uh, one of those folks who is more into um, pushing the, uh, the boundaries than not. And, uh, you know, I showed it to my uh, five-year-old niece, and she loved it. She sat there for the entire thing. So. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want, you want more of a thumbs up than that, I don't think I can get it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, is it my, it's certainly not my favorite of these, uh, no. these pictures, but, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's worth a, worth a view, worth a one time at least. Uh, and then go from there. You know, if you like it more than me, Hey, go, go nuts. Uh, so went on from there. Uh, and I did a little rewatch of a movie called phase four. Um, which I believe is Saul Bass's only movie. Uh, um, only directed film, yes. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, what's his face? Um, Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and it, it, this is a, a very good mix of uh, hard sci-fi and nature attacks movies. Uh, the visuals in this thing are really outstanding. Uh, not just for the... Um, the micro photography, which they have a lot of all the way throughout. Uh, but, uh, for the use of shapes and graphics, I mean, Bass is very, very obviously visually oriented. Um, and 
that certainly comes through in this thing. Uh, he puts his all into pretty much every shot that you can you can see in the movie. Uh, the, it's overall basically like a three-hander uh, with Michael Murphy, Nigel Davenport, and then uh, Lynn Frederick, uh, who we just recently had on on the uh, the show in uh, For the Apocalypse. Um, and she shows up as this uh, almost kind of um, autistic, like virginal sort of character uh, here. Um, I realize that some people feel that, uh, the movie is, is dry, uh, and the ending is, uh, a bit on the, uh, the ridiculous side, uh, which is all kind of funny because the movie is, uh, at least partially, uh, concerned with the, uh, the whole conflict between rationalism and emotionalism. Um, but personally for me, I love it. Um, not just for kind of tickling my, uh, my, um, intellectual side which you know let's assume that i have one uh but uh <laughs> but on a technical level where i you know i don't think this film gets as much credit as, as it deserves uh just on the uh the technical side because uh, it really is something of an achievement uh and certainly there are very few 70s movies that look like it uh even though it certainly um it does have its share of the um um psychedelia sort of shit uh, that the uh, movies around this time were uh, were kind of wallowing in, uh, but it uses it to very good effect. Uh, and overall, you know, I like you know if you gave me a choice between this or something uh, like uh, the Hellstrom Chronicles, I would take this 100. Mm. percent um, uh, Yeah, so there's that. That's uh, one of those uh, curious films that I've never seen. I've always meant to see, but I've never seen it. Which one? This one? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's oh, it's it's really worth it, and I believe. Um, was it Kino? Or, uh, I don't know. Somebody put I, it out. Yeah, no, they did, and it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice blue. Uh, there's no special features, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, overall, yeah, no, it's definitely worth having, especially since you could get it on the cheap. Um, I'm assuming because uh, the yeah, it did come out a couple of years ago, so I don't know if it's out of print as, as of uh, right now. But uh, certainly one that I would uh, I would put forth as uh, as being something worth having in the old collection. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean. I guess you could uh, you could probably liken this to something like an Andromeda Strain, but I think that this is a little bit better made than uh, than that one is mm. uh, for my money. Mm. Uh, Andromeda Strain tended to be a little too um, entrenched in the in the time that it was made, uh, where this kind of has that, but at the same time is is kind of being a little bit loftier uh, in what it's trying to to uh, to do. It 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 is. I mean. <sighs> It's not the greatest paced movie in the entire world, um, so you kind of have to to go along with a few things here and there. Uh, but overall, I, I for for me, I think it's it it pays off, uh, and it pays off very nicely. Uh, just in terms of uh, having something more on its mind than just being um, kind of spectacle, mm-hmm. uh, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, there's that. <sighs> and then I get uh, a little weird this week. So I watched Greed 2019. Hooray. Um, and we get uh, Steve Coogan and uh, Mr. Winterbottom at it again. Um, oh, yeah. This is the one with the uh, the white teeth. Yes. He has very <laughs> pearly white teeth. Yeah. Um, and uh, as usual... This is uh, between these two guys and you know, the vast majority of their collaborations. It's a little bit documentary. Uh, it's a little awkward comedy, and it's a whole mess of social commentary. Yeah. Um, 
it is, you know, of course, set to a really good soundtrack and it's paced like a tornado for the most part. Uh, Shirley Henderson uh, does a really fantastic job as Coogan's uh, blunt as uh, rock to the head sort of uh, mother. Um, and um, Winterbottom and Coogan do their usual really solid job of uh, humanizing even the, um, the mightiest of cunts. Uh, and most of the movie is fun, uh, until it gets to, uh, a really drawn out ending that's extremely on the nose and overdone. Um, and yeah, I mean, the movie is, um, it's very much about, um, class. It's very much about, uh, exploitation of, uh, capitalism on, uh, third world countries and that sort of thing and this uh, this sort of eat the rich uh, sort of attitude which I, I find funny since you know um, Coogan and uh, Winterbottom are really cagey uh, setting their collaborations in these nice exotic places so they can have nice paid vacations abroad <laughs> yeah. uh, for millions of dollars uh, you know which <laughs> I mean if, I mean come on if you can't smell the uh, the double standard on that I don't know where it's where it could possibly be. Um, but regardless, uh, I, I think that, yeah, it's, um, it is fun. It is funny. It is, uh, certainly it does make you think uh, a bit. Uh, but like I said, I, I mean, I think it, it kind of, uh, it, it keeps hitting the nail a, a little bit too long. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, it goes from there. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good stuff though. Uh, overall, uh, is it my favorite of their collaborations? No, uh, uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, and it, uh, it gets the job done. Mm. And then, oh man, here comes the, uh, here comes the, uh, the, the big one. Um, so I got the, uh, the triple DVD, uh, of the uh, Jacko Petty Prosperi uh, documentaries, along with the uh, the documentary made about them, and I busted that open this week. And of course, first up was uh, Africa Blood and Guts, nineteen sixty six. Good good uh, holiday viewing for the family. I was gonna say, uh, well, you know, uh, like I said, I got a niece. I got to show her stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. so, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm hear, kidding. Let's hear the five year old uh, review of this one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Joker, uh, here we have the definition of irresponsible filmmaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ostensibly, the movie is, for those who don't know, is documenting, documenting, excuse me, uh, various revolutions in Africa around like 1963, 1964. Um, the movie has a, a queasy feel to it that's partly due to what's depicted on screen compared to this dry um, observational commentary by, I believe, Silvio Rossi. Mm. Uh, might be Sergio Rossi. I might be getting the name wrong. Um, which, you know, it, it, the movie overall almost feels like something that you might have seen on television at the time. Yeah. Like a mutual of Omaha sort of thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in certain ways. Yeah. Um, these guys really enjoy using the zoom lens, uh, but <laughs> yeah. I'm a dude I, in the first like half hour. I was just like, Jesus Christ, does every fucking shot have a zoom in it? Yeah, and it really does feel that way. You you really start to notice it. Uh, but by that same respect, uh, there's there's also some uh, truly beautiful cinematography going on in this thing. 
Um, of course, the film is very, very difficult to watch in spots. Oh, yeah. uh, with you know, there's there's poaching footage in this that's perhaps the worst uh, out of any, anything that you can watch. And I, I find that kind of funny because you know it's it, it's kind of funny how footage of animals in pain is harder to take uh, than people uh, in pain for me. Um, even when it's a documentary, uh, in certain ways, I get the, I've always thought about that. It's the same way with me. I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's my disdain for the arrogance of humanity. Well, I think what it is, is that, is that usually what the way that we look at it is, um, is, uh, in terms of innocence and, yeah. you know, people usually have a choice Yes. at some point yeah. that, uh, that puts them into certain positions, right? Yeah. Whether or not, whether or not that's true or not, whether or not they deserve it or not, we have that certain thing, you know, this sort of this sort of um, rationalization of uh, of the, the 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 logic behind people in general, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And plus, I think a part of that also comes from us just being generally cynical about humanity um, yeah. in general. And there's a small part of it that comes from Walt Disney making. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that a little bit of uh, anthropomorphization. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always there. Bit. Yeah, I mean, it's only a tinge, but it's always there, whether you like it yeah, or not. No, it's I can there. See that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there, there's stuff in here that that's fucking difficult to watch. If you had a, a if you are the sort of person who had a problem with uh, Cannibal Holocaust or uh, Make Them Die Slowly or something along that line, yeah. uh, or even Monokani, uh before this, um, you will have a hard time with this as well because there's 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 scenes like uh, when the Mau Mau were uh, mutilating cattle that you just you, you you see this footage and you're just like Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know I get I get that they're beef and all that stuff and I would have no problems eating them on a normal day but man just watching them be in agony for no good reason is just it's painful to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know of course the uh, the film does draw uh, a lot of criticism for what uh, the filmmakers did or reportedly did uh, to get some of their material and I don't think that this is helped any by the English dubbing uh, and the insertion of uh, sound effects throughout it because it almost it, it feels it makes it feel almost kind of like they are um, kind of taking it a little lighter than maybe they should. Mm. Um, you know, I know very little about what was going on in Africa then, uh, but watching this, uh, you really do kind of have to question the authenticity of what you're seeing, or at the very least, uh, I think the degree to which this stuff is being very much manipulated, uh, and it is absolutely hundred percent. We've had, the, we've had conversations before about, uh, you know, documentary in general and how there's really, uh, there's no such thing as an unmanipulated documentary. It's just not possible unless you want to throw up, um, Andy Warhol's empire. That's probably the, the least manipulated, uh, documentary of all time, in my opinion. Uh, but there's, you know, it's, there's also reasons why it's not, uh, not watched more or talked about more than, uh, than it really is. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I find myself absolutely fascinated by this movie. Uh, and, you know, even more so maybe uh, the follow-up Goodbye Uncle Tom, which is going to be coming up in my rewatch pile very, very soon. Um, I mean, you can't really say that you enjoy this film per se, or at least I can't. Uh, but I, I do still feel that it deserves to be seen for what it is. Um, and I think that if nothing else, Jacopetti and Prosperi do manage to 
provoke reactions and, and you know, even prompt discussion. Um, so, I mean, you got to give it, uh, you got to give it a little bit of credit for that. Um, I, I, but, uh, you know, nothing about this movie, how it was made or what it depicts can be called blameless. I think, um, it is, you know, it, yeah, it's difficult. And it, it's, it's one of these, um, it's one of these movies that is difficult to defend and it's even more difficult and especially now, um, in the current, uh, social climate to say that you enjoy this movie, uh, and like I said, I don't think that I enjoy it, um, uh, but I do appreciate it. Uh, and I do appreciate that it exists. And I know that that's kind of like an odd statement to make. Um, but I think that it's very much true. And I do think that it's worth seeing in the same way that I feel that, uh, you know, Salo is worth seeing or, um, like I said, you know, the Mondo Kane, uh, and, uh, and all that sort of thing. And, I'm really interested to see how, uh, you know, Goodbye Uncle Tom uh, hits me when I when I get to that rewatch. Um, I get the the odd feeling it's going to be similar, although that's a very very different movie, in the sense that it's very much more fictionalized uh, and purposely fictionalized, uh, or I should say, um, overtly fictionalized uh, as a, a document, quote unquote document. Um, in, in that uh, in that respect uh but yeah no uh so yeah uh, I, I will say this about you know both of these movies um i don't think that they need to be over two hours long um because it does tend to be uh a lot of lather rinse repeat it, it tends to get into the cycle where uh you have um atrocities and then you have some social stuff and then you have these weird uh, travel log, almost um, Benny Hill esque sort of sequences, uh, where they mix uh, a bit of light music and a bit of just kind of um, kind of really light uh, sort of uh, sequences of, the, of just like people you know walking around or going to the beach or uh, there's this odd uh, ser- uh, series of shots where there's uh, there's women you know jumping up and down uh, almost like uh, girls on trampoline from the the man show uh, from a ways back <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, you know it, and, we're, and we're shooting it off in this very low uh, angle Um and it's just, you know, it, it, it will tend to do those sort of things. And, you know, and like I said, I mean, there's some beautiful stuff where you'll, you'll actually just get to watch, uh, you know, nature in the raw uh, hippos kind of you know, floating along or uh, or bison uh, kind of uh, trekking along in, in a gigantic herd before the, uh, the, the bad men show up and do gruesome, nasty fucking shit to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not easy. Uh, but then again, you know, I, I, it, you fall into one of those those sort of problems where you know, it, should it be easy? Uh, and I don't know that it should. Um, and I, you know, to to say that uh, I'm not saying that this movie's attitude or that uh, what it's doing is correct, um, but at the same time, um, it happened, uh, and this is what uh, what came of it, and. Uh, yeah, this is what we're left with. So, um, and that's pretty much all that I got for this week. Uh, so kick it over to you, sir. Whatever no, you got. It's interesting. You talk about that genre because that's what that Jack those Jacopetti documentaries, hmm. uh, those, those, uh, 
a genre, you know, for whatever reason, Eli Roth really likes that genre. I don't understand. He does. He does. Yeah. He loves Cannibal well, Holocaust. I, I think, he loves I, all this I, stuff. I, I, I think you fall into that thing where I don't know that I don't know that you could say like. I think you could say fascinated because you're you're kind of yeah, probably you're kind of like astounded by by what by what they're putting on screen A and B, what they were willing to do to put this on screen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It really is just kind of like you know these movies are are saying as much about what what they're depicting as they are about the the people who depict it. Uh, yeah. I think I mean because this is I mean let's be perfectly blunt I mean you when you use the word exploitation I mean this is what you're talking about is this I mean, if you're really talking about exploitation this is the kind of movie that you're talking about yeah 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 I mean it is true exploitation I agree oh absolutely. To, uh, and and then yeah and yeah and like I said you know goodbye Uncle Tom even a hundred percent more so yeah especially with its uh, with its little its little capping uh, sequence there which I'm sure we will get into in the very near future <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all right uh let's see here what did I watch I watched quite a bit so you know been off Good had, deal. you know had some time off and. You know, just uh, things have worked out. My schedule's worked out, and I've been able to watch some yeah, stuff. Somebody's so. doing some heavy lifting here. Yeah. More than I normally watch in a week, anyway. Let's put it that way. I watched, uh, first up was Fireball, Visitors from Darker Worlds. This is the Werner Herzog, Clive Oppenheimer oh, okay. meteorite documentary. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to hold back a sneeze here, and it's, uh, it's a losing battle. <laughs> Uh, so I might disappear for a second and blow my brains through the, my nose. Um, this is interesting. And, uh, the way that it's very Herzogian, as you would expect, look, at the, look at the hole, you know, it's, um, it's, there's nothing but misery in this meteor. <laughs> yes. It cries out for yeah. sustenance and finds nothing in the void of human existence. Yeah. It's something like that. And he, and he, <laughs> and what's interesting is there's this one part in this documentary and I'm not going to give it away because if anybody wants to watch it, they can where he makes like this criticism about film school, and it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's very odd. It's just very odd. But uh, it's a it's a like a lot of his later documentaries, uh, and like a lot of his documentaries in in general. I mean, it's it's an examination of humanity, and and he finds characters as he always does that are much more you know stranger than fiction, or, or maybe that's not the right word. Certainly more interesting than fiction could allow and that's what he's always done well and of course you know um as far as a nature documentary too it's kind of you know some of the stuff you see is is kind of you know it's like wow this is amazing well so. it's interesting to compare uh herzog to the jacopetti prosperi uh sort of team because in, in a lot of ways they're similar in yeah, they their are. approach uh they because are. they're not they they're not real. i mean they're they're concerned with um depictions of reality but at the same time they're not they're not unconcerned with not commenting on them well they're not beholden to it either they're just they're kind of like i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you 90 percent reality and then i'm gonna give you 10 percent yeah. of me yeah 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 <laughs> and no, you, ne yeah. you never know where that 10 percent comes from <laughs> well yeah but i mean but i don't think that you could have you couldn't have them uh you couldn't separate the two i don't think mm, mm. Uh, in terms of you know what they're doing versus uh, who they are, yeah, it's a uh, it's very Herzogian. I don't think it's as good as the volcano one, uh, which Clive okay. Oppenheimer's in as well. I don't think it's as good as that one. That was the one that's on Netflix, I believe. I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head. Shame on me, but 
Uh, I think I enjoyed that one more, but this one is interesting. And it is kind of amazing, you know, how many meteors and meteor particles hit the earth daily. Um, kind of blows your mind when you, uh, find that out and you, you think about the inevitability that something big will hit the earth at some point. It's, uh, yeah. Profound. It's a profound thought. Well, I mean, it has before, right? Yeah, I mean, has before. And that's why there's no dinosaurs anymore. Yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. So you know, and that you think to yourself, well, that was a long time ago, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It could happen again. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter what the timeline is. It's just that it's just telling you that yeah, it could happen again, and that it happens daily is is very interesting. Um, and then it gets into some of the Herzogian stuff, which is what that I always enjoy, which is where he interviews cultures. And you know, talks to them about their beliefs in these in these things, and and that's where it gets very Herzogian, right? Where you know, he he doesn't judge; he just you know shows folks in their beliefs, and just kind of films that. That's very interesting. So, it's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's exclusive to that, but I'm, I don't know where else it'll be at some point. But it looks really nice. I watched it in the good old 4K, and uh, it is quite beautiful. And um, yeah, it's worth a, it's worth a, it's worth a watch, especially if you like Herzog. If you like Herzog, you'll probably like it. Mm-hmm. Um, then I want to change gears, watch Belushi. This is the uh, John Belushi documentary Showtime put out. I'm assuming they've been working on it for some time because there's a lot of Harold Ramis audio on here, and you know he passed away a little ways a little ways back. And mm-hmm. um, this is good, although if you know anything about John Belushi, I don't know if it gives you anything new at all. I guess the stuff I really liked about it was seeing the, so this would not be a documentary for you. There's a lot of animation in it, but uh, why I think, would you do that? I, I don't know. Uh, but the, in, in that way, that's what I'm saying. It kind of feels like it was made some time ago because it feels very dated because of that. Uh, oddly, but but I, when you when you say to me John Belushi documentary, the last thing that I think of is, man, this needs animation in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It mostly deals with his youth, but occasionally you'll see some animation dealing with his older years. Anyway, it is interesting the kind of upbringing and stuff. There's some things about his youth I did not know, and that was the best parts of it, really, about his growing up in Chicago or the Illinois area. And, um, you know, his father was an immigrant. Uh, cause they were Albanian and, uh, uh, his father was not a, a very nice man and, um, not abusive, but cer- certainly emotionally distant and very much about being, you know, about working and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but very much an immigrant, uh, sensibility. And, you know, what I've always appreciated about John Belushi, there's a natural, so we talked about with Chris Pratt, but there was a natural charisma with Belushi, but Belushi also had this sense of danger. Yes, you. Yeah, he was very uh, unpredictable. Yes, way. yeah, and yeah, you know, kind of in the same way that uh, Chris Farley was a little yeah, bit uh, yeah, later yeah. on. Who you know looked up to Belushi, but they, they, every mm-hmm, now and then these mm-hmm. these comedic actors or even actors come along who are there's something about them and you can't quite figure it out. And I've, as time's gone on, I've thought about John Belushi, who was a pivotal part of my youth because my dad was a huge Belushi fan. Um, I think it was the danger, the anarchy. You know, and Belushi was that much, very much that way. He was a heavy metal punk rock guy who played in a blues band. And, um, you know, he played drums for the Dead Boys. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. He he was just, and he was excessive. Everything was excess, you know. Once he got, especially once he attained fame, everything was excessive. Uh, food, drugs, women. 
so you know, and he was only thirty three when he died. I mean, he wasn't wasn't like he was an old man. He was a young man. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to think. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, well, thirty three is pretty old. I mean, <laughs> you know, when he died, I was like, oh, thirty three. You know, he got he got pretty far. But as a forty seven year old man, I'm like, wow, thirty three is really young. <laughs> you know, you know, you don't even know what the hell you got going on yet. Yeah, but no, you really don't. Isn't what's interesting about the documentary and what I wish they would have explored more is how he dealt with his pain with food and, and drugs and, and alcohol and all these things mm-hmm. and how he, you know, there's, there's this sense of disassociative uh, personality disorder that, you know, mm-hmm. which is funny cause I watched another documentary that deals with this, but there's this sense that, you know, I always talk about the mask aspect of humanity and how you wear this, you know, what you want people to see you as. And Belushi was certainly that he was a very quiet, very, insecure person behind the scenes but outwardly like he was like this crazy insane force of nature so it's really that's always interesting to me that dichotomy that you know these two beings that exist and he probably didn't even know it at the time i mean when when you when you when you talk about that um i i kind of almost get the feeling that to get into that sort of thing may have been a little bit um what's the word i'm looking for uh more i don't want to use the word exploitive but kind of disingenuous to to what the the movie is probably about yeah i think it tries Um, i I don't think it really knows what it's about is the problem that's okay okay it's good i just i just don't I just don't know what it what it, I don't so really it's, it's kind of like a, a love letter that doesn't know how to to yeah to form itself yeah kind of yeah but there are some some poignant stuff uh, there is some poignant stuff from Ackroyd they're mostly through phone interviews so I wonder if well I mean I wouldn't say it's during COVID because Harold Ramis is on the phone too and talking right. and he died before COVID but um. I'm trying to think. I mean, it, everything's by phone interview pretty much. There's no talking heads in this. Everything's phone interview, uh, you know, animation and stock footage. So it's kind of put together that way. And and some of the stuff, though, that comes across from some of the people that knew him, um, like Harold Ramis really knew him well. A lot of people didn't know that Ramis knew him as well as he did, but Ramis worked with him at Lampoon when uh, John was John Belushi was really running the Lampoon radio show I after uh, Donahue left and went to Saturday Night Live and all that kind of good stuff. And I know I'm name dropping all these names and stuff, but if you know anything about the history of kind of seventies kind of uh countercultural comedy, then uh, these names all uh, should ring a bell. Um but anyway, there there's some interesting insight from the some of that. So it's worth watching to, you know, kinda to hear some of that stuff. But it's mo- mostly if you're a Belushi fan. And it doesn't really dwell on the fact that, you know, it does dwell on the fact that he had uh, issues and drug issues in particular. Uh but it doesn't dwell on his death much. Um, but it is scary because, you know, it's one of those things where clearly he didn't think he was going to die. Right. Um, but at the same time, well, does was, anybody ever now? Uh, yeah. I mean, up to I a mean, certain point. That's time. what I'm saying. It comes up to you, you know, sneaks up on you no matter what, you know, I don't, you yeah. can do whatever you want to do it when it decides to come, it comes. Yeah. But the, um, you know, I, 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 I found some of that interesting, uh, and just the kind of way that he couldn't be alone. Like he couldn't be alone because when he was alone, left to his own devices, it was really the devil's out of hand thing. It really was that. So, which is the nature of addiction in a lot of ways, all in a nutshell. So, 
Uh, anyway, it's on Showtime. Uh, watch Crazy Not Insane. This is uh, the documentary on the, I can't remember her name. She's a psychologist, clinical psychologist. She interviewed Ted Bundy historically. Um, she uh, she interviewed quite a few serial killers and stuff. This is good. This is another Alex Gibney documentary. This guy seems to have like 15 documentaries a year. Like he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Uh, Dorothy... Otnow Lewis is her name, Dorothy Lewis, but she, she's the one that really kind of put postulated the theory of uh, disassociative uh, personality disorder. In other words, that killers and serial killers kind of go outside of themselves, and usually it's tied to childhood abuse of some sort. And so that's really where a lot of this comes. And some of the stuff she talks about is pretty fascinating. I mean, it's pretty fascinating some of the stuff she's talking about. But you got to be into this kind of thing, you know. I mean, uh, if you're not, then you. Well, I, you know, I don't know if it's it's your cup of tea, but if but if you are, uh, it's pretty interesting to hear her talk about it. And it doesn't really dwell on the true crime aspects. It really kind of dwells on the fact that uh, people want black and white answers for murder, which, you know, that's kind of a human need. People want, you know, they want black and white punishment. They want black and white answers. Yes. Um, so when you immediately start to throw in questions of, these people can't help it, then people just, they, they get frustrated because well, yeah, they, they don't we, understand. We want the, the universe needs to make sense. That's yeah. why we have things yeah. like religion and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It, the, yeah. the universe has to make sense. If it doesn't, then what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Which is scary to some people, but actually, you know, in my brain, that's the way it, it, it kind of supposed to be. Right. I mean, it, we, we don't know what the, the, we're here because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> yeah. And we probably were an accident. <laughs> Yeah, that's there, possible. There's, yeah, there's that's some possible. there's some scientists who believe we are the the greatest accident. Uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of a backhanded but compliment. But that's the thing is that you know, yeah, you know, this is this is the problem, right? This is you know, this is the whole nature of philosophy in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, people are the problem. We all agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> if we yes, we're the uh, we're the we're the Martians. Yes. Uh, <laughs> switch gears and watch Reign of the Superman, which is a DC Universe film or yeah, a DC animated film. Um, I feel like I watched this before, but I think I started it and never finished it. I thought it was okay. That yeah. and Death to Superman, they yeah, were yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I, I think Cyborg Superman is an is a kind of a fun creation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've always kind of enjoyed that character, and what they've done with him in the comics has been pretty good as well. Uh, I'm really kind of surprised some of these Supermen have managed to maintain their existence in the comic uh, lore. I oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I really thought that was uh, you know. It was a moment in time, right, with these Superman and selling comic books, and you know the popularity of the death of Superman and all that stuff. But uh, some of they managed to keep them around, which is interesting to me. So, hey, you know, in no comic book, if there's any world where you know people say Jason never dies, Freddy Krueger never dies, let me tell you something: in comic book world, <laughs> nothing ever does. Nah. <laughs> If they can find a story arc and bring it back, I just finished reading all the the Iron Man twenty twenty stuff, and uh, you know Machine with, uh, Man, Arno. yeah, with Arno Stark and the Machine Man and all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, an awesome android and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, they just they just went into the uh, the vault and pulled out a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> I never read that stuff. I never read any of the uh, the twenty ninety nine stuff. That Doom, uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah, this one never was the first one I'd read. And I can't remember why I read it. It may have been, I watched like a little short hour long. There's like a, on Disney Plus, there's like a Marvel 616 universe thing. And there's a, an episode called The Marvel Method. 
and I watched it because as a comic book guy, I know what the Marvel method is. Yep. And uh, it had Dan Slott in there, and I like Dan Slott. And and um, he was kind of talking about it. And he's taking some criticism for this episode, too, because Dan Slott's not exactly the fastest worker. But Christos Gage is in there, too. And if you're a comic book guy, all these names make sense to you. Yes. Um, I quite like Gage, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he's good. And... Um, yeah, and I it's it that hour long documentary got me interested, so I was like, well, you know, I'll go check this out. I'll check out what Arnold Stark's up to. This whole other world, this whole other side of Tony Stark, and uh, the Iron Man twenty twenty stuff it was really good. Some of the other stuff, well, it wasn't as great. But there was this one little three issue run for a little team called Forceworks. Okay, and, yeah, and it was really good. I really, I really wish that would become a comic because it had U.S. Agent, had uh, War Machine, uh, Mockingbird. Um, Quake, and uh, I want to say somebody else. Um, but anyway, it was a fun team. The uh, banter between the characters was good, and I kind of wanted. I, I kind of hope that out of all this, that shakes out. I hope they'll put out a regular series of Force Works. But anyway, we'll see. Uh, neither here nor there. Moving on. Arena Superman, good stuff. Uh, same quality you expect from WB uh, Animation Studios in these films. And uh, I'm glad they still make these things because they do a pretty good job with them. I'm kind of interested to see the Death in the Family film that they made just recently with the the Jason Todd stuff. And then uh, I haven't checked out the Deathstroke Knights and Dragons one yet, but I'm planning on checking that out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, switch gears to Be Water. Uh, this is the Bruce Lee documentary, the 30 for 30 that ESPN did. Be Water, my friend. And uh, my Bruce Lee impersonation. Got to be careful doing those, though, because, you know. Because even one point, uh, Bruce Lee makes a joke. So he goes, I don't want to be all Confucius say, but <laughs> so he, even, even he makes the joke, you know. But... You could be like a reed or yeah. you could be like a, a stick yes. in the water. <laughs> be water, my friend. But no, the, it, it, it's fascinating to kind of look at this and, and to remember that, you know, you know, I think a lot of people think Bruce Lee hit the scene in Green Hornet, but Bruce Lee was working when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he was 1950-something, I, yeah, think, I think, uh, was his first. Yeah, I think the first film was The Kid or something. Yeah. That, and I think he did another film called The Orphan, where he was kind of a middle-aged, or, not, or, or an early young man. And, you know, he was trying early on, and then he went to America, or he was born in America and went to China, and then came back. And, you know, he lived this lifestyle of trying to get these schools started and everything else, but he met his wife and never even told her that he was in movies or anything when he was younger and stuff. And it's just interesting. And, you know, I, I think he had washed his hands of the movie stuff, but I think there's part of him that always wanted to be a star and he liked the attention, but he also liked the message he was getting out there. You know, he, he comes from the Ip Man school and he kind of wanted to get the message out there. So there's this bit of chivalry to it. And then, you know, obviously he can't really get anything done in America. So he goes back to China and then he becomes a superstar. Mm-hmm. And, um, all that's very interesting. And then, you know, obviously he, I think we're all fascinated by him, not because A, he was a super charismatic guy, um, which is inarguable, kind of like the uh, the Elvis of Kung Fu movies in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But also because, unfortunately, he passed away young, and it's another one of those things that we can't, for whatever reason, we can't process um, because we see this virile, overly athletic almost perfect looking human being who lays down at some point and passes away. Mm. Uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's some science behind that, but at the same time you have to wonder if, 
even if he had survived that day, if he had survived very long, because it seemed like he had some genetic issues that he didn't know about. And that's the way life is. Life, you know, like like we talked about, it finds a way. Life finds a way. Death finds a way. It just it's the way it is. And uh, some of that stuff's really interesting. And um, he talks about and they talk about in the documentary why he chose Chuck Norris for at some point and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty interesting. And it's really good. I got to say, Don Inosato, who's one of his students uh, and a martial artist and 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 stuff, he's got some really good insight. And oddly. I was catching up with the Mandalorian with my son this weekend. We watched the last episode, and what a world, a small world of serendipity! His daughter played the magistrate in the most recent episode of uh, you know, Diane Lee and Asanto played the magistrate in the most recent episode of the Mandalorian. Uh, and, I, and I was okay. like, "Wow, there's Bruce Lee's goddaughter!" And I just watched this documentary yesterday. Just you know, doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was like, "Wow, that's just kind of a weird bit of serendipity that that happened." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good episode too, by the way. Oh, that was a really good episode. Just yeah, that that, that one was. Uh, yeah, I think that was everything that Star Wars fans probably wanted from that episode. Oh, certainly, yeah, certainly the uh, Ahsoka character. Oh yeah, and uh, the casting couldn't have been more perfect, right? For that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But you also get uh, Baby Yoda's real name, which I'm not going to say on the show. Yep. Um, which yeah, we won't do that because that might be considered a spoiler. But my son was devastated yep. that his name was not Baby I Yoda was as well because it was so. <laughs> it became it was part, so not. He will always not what I it yeah. did not live up to. Yeah, well, what you're exactly. Expecting. He's always going to be a Baby Yoda to everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he's become pop culture royalty at this point, so he's yeah, he's never going to be anything but that, but. That episode was really good, and uh, you know, me and my son, we both uh, looked at each other and said, "Why is this? You know, why is this so much better than the movies?" <laughs> well, and I went into a long explanation of you gotta I understand, bored the shit out of him. yeah, yeah, you gotta understand that you know when they make the movies, they gotta get the biggest possible audience to get the biggest possible return on the movie on the money they invest, and he's just like, "Yeah, but it's, it's you know," he gives the he gives the right answer. He's like, "Yeah, but they're just." They're kind of boring. They're just not as good. I'm like, they're yeah. really not. Yeah. And then I said, what, what's great about The Mandalorian is it distills it down to the base, the most base nature of the story, which is adventure and narrative and moving it forward. And mm-hmm. and I think that's why you like it more. And, uh, you know, that's what the original Star Wars movies, I think, did better than yes. the the uh, six films that followed. Well, the, the first two, at least, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um. Anyway, that's, uh, you know, enough of that. I'm sure we probably lost five or six listeners because uh, you, uh, know. <laughs> you can't talk about star wars in that way uh, uh, and also i should say the carl weathers directed episode is pretty good too the siege that's a pretty yeah, good episode yeah. yeah bravo to carl weathers getting some and always out. nice to see uh ms carano as well always always yeah oh yeah big time never uh never a complaint in my mind there Mm-mm. um switch gears and went to unhinged this is the russell crowe i'm mad at the world movie Okay. Now, this is interesting. Um, this movie's not great by any stretch of imagination. It's very average, as a matter of fact. Russell Crowe is great in the movie. I have to wonder why he did this movie. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with him doing it, but, I mean, this is this is not the kind of movie you expect somebody like Russell Crowe to do in a lot of ways. I mean, he's a you know, big-time movie star. Well, then again, I mean, Man with the Iron Fists as well. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't really expect that one to pop up in his filmography. No, and you know, I don't know if he's obviously he's gained a lot of weight recently, and there's been 
some stories about how he's gained weight. He gained weight for the uh, the Roger Ailes role uh, in mm. one of those. Insider. Yeah, one of those. I can't remember which from. Yeah, that, yeah, he's gained weight before. It's not like he's never done it before, but he is quite big nowadays. I'd say he's over 300 pounds, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I'd kind of poke fun about that a little bit when I watched The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Buying new appliances oh, and that. electronics can you can't hear that. overwhelming. But with the but LG&E Marketplace, is... you can easily find products that save you the most energy, along with retailers that help you save the most right money. right now, while we're recording the show. <laughs> well, you're, you're, yeah, you're, uh, your voice has definitely changed. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? Well, you, you were a lot more electronic. Yeah, I certainly was. I bet I was. I have no idea where that ad came from. God, the internet. Now I can't even control the ads that get played. Like I'm doing nothing and an ad just starts playing. And it's not like, you know, whatever. Fuck off. <laughs> you can't even trust the internet anymore. What's what's the world come to? Anyway. You really want my opinion on that? Uh, no, no, not really. I think I know. <laughs> um... So yeah, this so it, it's a very basic thriller in a lot of ways. It starts really strong, I gotta say, and Crow is great. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But unfortunately, it's very by the numbers um, in a lot of ways. It kind of looked like that uh, just from the uh, yeah. Well, I think it cuts the, a better trailer than yeah. I think it cuts a better trailer than it does a film. Unfortunately, mm. well, uh, you know, a lot of these things yeah. tend to. But I mean his. His natural charisma. There goes that. There, there went that ad again. I shut it down this time. You fucker. Found it. It was on Letterbox. You stinky shit. Anyway, that's me talking. Uh, you hear a little bit of the redneck and Sammy coming out there. You stinky motherfucker. Yeah. Anyway, get back to what I'm trying to talk about here. Um, he he has a. I don't know. There's something about Russell Crowe, and I think you know. He works on screen very well. and uh, But, yeah, he is uh, – I know he's kind of been poked fun at a little bit in this uh, role because he's quite portly. But uh, that's really – that really says more about us as a culture than it says anything about Russell Crowe, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find when people make comments like that that uh, they should probably be erased from the universe. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you have to result to uh, calling people fat – or calling people stupid and stuff. Uh, try try hanging around with children. That's uh, that's probably where you need to be. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, you're fucking in your your middle age and you're calling people fat. I mean, come on, fuck off. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, th- that's just a personal thing. Of course, I am fat, so that does uh maybe maybe yeah uh, maybe I oh, have. Oh, so this is personal. This okay. might be personal to me. You. I get you. Uh, Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I switch gears to the mystery of D.B. Cooper. This is an HBO Max documentary. Uh, D.B. Cooper's fascinated me since I was a child. Yeah, right. And uh, continues to fascinate me. And obviously, I'm not the only one. Uh, it's still unsolved and will remain unsolved, uh, it seems yeah. like, because uh, there is a possibility D.B. Cooper's still alive out there. I mean, he'd be an old man now, but there's still a possibility. Uh, I don't think the guy probably survived the jump out of the plane, uh, personally. But, wow, does it lead to to great you know american myth making you know mm. and it there's very much a robin hood quality to him and these kind of things and i think you know the working man and people like that have come to accept him as kind of like some anti 
some counterculture hero in a weird way, you know. And uh, that's interesting to me, too. So really the story behind D.B. Cooper or the story of the myth of D.B. Cooper might be more interesting than the story of D.B. Cooper itself, although it will remain a mystery, I guess, until the end of time. Nobody will probably ever know, but you never know. I mean, sometimes these things, people, you know, they find the answer. Maybe they will one day. I don't know. Uh, not great, though, the documentary. It's very much a Talking Heads documentary. It doesn't really give anything new. Uh, it kind of goes through the three or four suspects that they thought might have been D.B. Cooper. Uh, I have my ideas on who I think might have been D.B. Cooper and out of coming out of that, but uh, I'll leave that up to anybody else to watch. But, yeah, man, got quite a few things in this week. A lot of documentaries, as I tend to always lean toward documentaries. Um, I, I don't know why that is, but that's just who I am. Can't <laughs> It is what it is, right? Hey. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All some right. Some people love uh, chocolate. Some people love peanut butter. Some people love both. That's right. I love all. That was chocolate the worst and analogy I could come <laughs> up with. And uh, man, was it ever! Oh no, the show's. We still got two reviews to go through. You might come up with some more. I don't worse. get me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got. I got plenty in the fucking yes. in the reserves. Trust me. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and discuss uh, Suburbia from 1983, directed by Penelope Spiris. We'll be back right after this. All right, that time I hit record, so now we can uh, move forward. <laughs> Sammy only knew. Yeah, uh, just for a little, you know, behind the scenes there. We did this whole thing uh, five seconds ago, and I didn't hit record, so there you go. That's what happens when uh, sometimes, you know, it's hard to be professional when you're not a professional. <laughs> yep. uh, anyway, as I was saying on the previous one, even though it's lost a little bit of its luster, that might be Diaz's longest song. Mm. This is only this is funny to say now because we've already went through this routine. <laughs> this is certainly the longest introduction to this movie. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, Suburbia, nineteen eighty three. Yes, uh, as I said earlier, uh, this one's kind of underseen as well. Uh, I don't know if uh, Link. I was talking about Linklater's film. I don't know if uh, that one ever got anything outside of a DVD release. Uh, I think I saw it on DVD, but I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, and I never have for whatever reason. Um, again, I've only seen the film once, but I remember liking it. I saw this film a few times, saw it back in the VHS days. Um, of course, I was, you know, I went through my punk phase, as we all did. Well, you know, I, I, and I still like that music quite a bit, obviously, obviously, but it's interesting to kind of go back. This is, this is kind of the disillusioned, or maybe the disillusionment of the punk scene, uh, I in think a lot it's of ways. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, Certainly a nihilistic film, uh, yes, to say the least. Yes. Um, I don't know who wants to lead on it. I'll give the plot synopsis here. When household tensions and a sense of worthlessness overcome Evan, he finds escape when he clings with the orphans of a throwaway society. Poor Evan. Yeah, so the throwaway society thing is obviously very much a punk motif. 
uh, and the way they feel or the way young kids felt about themselves. And every generation has this. Um, punk rock is, you know, the, the music may have been new at the time, but the attitude is not. That, uh, that kind of in-between when you're kind of really trying to figure out who you are can sometimes lead to some form of rebellion. And, uh, you know, trying to find yourself, not, not for everybody, obviously, but for some yeah. people it does. And, yeah, well, and a lot of that, a lot of that appears in at least America, American society post World War Two. Certainly. And, uh, politics has a lot to do with that. And sure. And, you know, the fact that, sure. you know, American society, we always feel like people are lying to us and yeah, well, and, and yeah, and Nixon and Vietnam and all that. Yeah. yeah and we feel like our parents are lying to us and. We feel like our parents are hypocrites because they're like, don't drink, don't smoke. And then they turn around, they drink and they smoke. What do you do? Yeah. So anyway, there's all these things. It's certainly an American thing, but it's uh, also, I think, an English thing, Uh, you know, a UK thing. They went through their phase of it, and I'm sure they probably still do. And I'm sure there's other countries as well, but those are the only ones I'm really super aware of. Um, Yeah, I don't know if you wanted to lead on this one or you wanted me to lead on this one or... What the um, I, I listen. I I picked them, so if you, it, it's up to you. Uh, I I am very interested to hear what you have to say about the uh, the second movie. Uh, um, but you know, whatever. If you want to take this one, take it. If you want me to take it, I'll take it. Um, leave it up to you. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you take this one. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, you know, way back when, uh, there were basically four movies uh, that could be rented locally. That had any sort of um, legitis- uh, legitimacy in terms of punk rock. Uh, they were Decline of Western Civilization, also Penelope Spheres, uh, DOA, A Rite of Passage, which was primarily a British uh, British um, act in that one, uh, Repo Man, and there was this. Uh, but out of all those four, this is where I first heard D.I., obviously, uh, who I still think are a criminally underrated band, um, T.S.O.L., uh, and the Vandals, uh, all in this movie. Uh, and Spheris, I think she takes what she learned from her documentary uh, and applies it to uh, to the footage, uh, at least uh, the 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 concert footage, quote unquote concert footage. Yeah. Um, that uh, we get in this thing. Uh, if if anything, I think that you could argue that this is uh, kind of decline one A. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in certain in certain aspects. Yes. Um. So the movie starts with the the Sheila character, who is played by uh, Jennifer Clay. I want to say, um, yeah, uh, her uh, only da, 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 film, da, da, da. her only film. Yes, I think. yes, yes. Um, starts off with uh, with her hitch uh, hitchhiking, and this sequence has one of the most randomly insane moments of shock, uh, possibly <laughs> in cinema history. It's it's up um, there. It's up there. <laughs> Right, but uh, but at the same time, it more or less uh, sums up the film. Uh, you know, the world is uh, rough and unforgiving, yeah. uh, and this leads into uh, the Evan character, uh, who is kind of a little bit more focused on, although there's not really a, a central character in the movie uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it leads into the uh, the Evan character leaving a really shitty uh, home life, and this eventually will draw in his younger brother Ethan. Uh, into the the same sort of uh, life that he gets into, um, you know. That being the case, this film has always been one of my favorite Youth and Rebellion movies, uh, at least equal to, if not superior to, uh, Over the Edge, which mm. you know it will constantly and forever be compared to. Yeah. Um, and I think that this has all the elements that make this type of movie work. Uh, you know, it has uh, disenfranchised youths 
who are uh, misunderstood by most adults, you know, hence they, why they call themselves the rejected, right? Uh, though the, the actual name, I think, refers to both them being rejected and their rejection of suburbia in general. Um, you know, you have this uh, groping around in youthful sexual experiences a bit with the, uh, the Jennifer Clay character and the uh, Joe Schmo characters. Um, you know, it's about uh, finding family among outsiders. It's about random acts of violence and outrageous behavior. Uh, you know, this is all interspersed throughout the movie. Uh, and of course, the whole thing is going to culminate as it has to culminate in a very sobering sort of uh, tragedy. Um the interesting thing here is that the the punk scene that uh, that Evan gets into uh, seems almost inhospitable, uh, or uh, as inhospitable uh, as the uh, the world that uh, that he left. Yeah, you know, because it, it, when we first get the very first uh, scene that we get at a show is the the, the DI show, and there's three of these uh, sequences all throughout the movie, um, DI TSOL and then the Vandals. Uh, and you know the whole thing is it's it's a wasteland pretty much, and even the people that Evan will count as peers are of you know of course nihilistic and even cannibalistic uh, in a certain sense. Yeah. Um, until we meet the Jack character, the Jack Diddley character played by Corey Peterson, uh, who is kind of like a father figure in the TR house, mm-hmm. uh, and he takes Evan in. Um, and this is the sort of contradiction of the punk world, as I think uh, Spheris kind of sees and or experienced it. Uh, I think that, you know, you get this this whole idea that it could be caring and or brutal, uh, depending on how the wind blows. It's right. that sort of contradiction right. uh, that it could be two things at once. And it's funny. Uh, to me, at least, that that two of the three concert scenes that we we get in the movie uh, end with some sort of violence stopping the show. Yeah, because you know they just they they can't help it. It's just it's it's the nature of uh, of the world that uh, that they are um, conceiving for themselves. Yeah, well, there, I mean, um, there's anger they're working through as well. So you could get into a lot of things when you talk about this. You know, y- youthful energy, anger. Like I said, you know, disillusionment. Mm-hmm. And you know the fact that you know my wife walked in. This I always had these great stories, right? My wife oh, walks in the, uh, <laughs> where the scene where uh, the uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but the Skinner Skinner. Uh, well, oddly, yeah. Why 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 couldn't I remember that name? I have no idea. <laughs> um, the Timothy O'Brien character uh, rips the dress off of the what yeah. he considers a fake punk. Now, amongst punks, there was always this need. It seemed like to look for posers fake punks yes and uh this is taken to the nth degree by skinner in this scene and it's a very uncomfortable scene uh no doubt my wife walked in when i was watching this scene which is always makes it more uncomfortable because it looks like out of context it's like what the hell are you watching Hmm. um but even in context it's still an uncomfortable scene i think to this day and this movie has a lot of uncomfortable scenes it's got it's one of those movies where you know spirits is obviously she had that kind of punk rock spirit when it came to movie making anyway, I think. And, uh, you know, obviously her documentaries are, are well known, uh, especially Decline of Western Civilization Part 1, where she's looking at this disillusioned youth and all these changes. And certainly that comes through in this, and I totally agree with you with the 1A thing. But he, I think, well, she, I should say, uh, she kind of nails this, almost this boredom of, yeah. of anger. Yeah. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but there's like this anger... And I keep using this word disillusionment, but I, I think that's well, really it's, it's, it's very important it, to this movie that these kids are lost. Yes, 
And it's not just because they're punks. That's just a, a veneer that's on this movie. Well, no, it's 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 a sense of defeat. Yeah, that uh, uh, that permeates the whole thing, and that's that nihilism yeah. coming through. Yeah, yeah. Is and, that you know what, you know what the fuck does it matter? I might as yeah. well just do whatever the fuck I want because you know whether I go here, whether I go there, whether I go anywhere. Yeah. In the seventies and the eighties is when this you know the music kind of started to be more honest with what kids yeah. were going through. I mean, kids were going through this stuff in the fifties and sixties, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the music didn't, it wasn't as blunt as it became in the seventies and eighties. And yeah. obviously, like I said, I went through my punk phase and you know, my, well, and I still listen to that stuff. I still listen to a lot of this stuff that's in this movie. And I still listen to a lot of real, you know, heavy and, and I still listen to black metal and, and, and all these things, yeah. uh, that's still part of my life. Um, yeah. And and a lot of that comes from my original disillusionment with, you know, I was raised by an alcoholic father. Uh, I had, you know, a terrible childhood. I mean, the, the mother in this is not too far removed. Uh, actually, my dad was probably worse <laughs> than the mother in this. And, uh, you know, I can laugh about that now, but I can tell you as a kid, uh, that was awful. That was uh, oh, yeah. That was awful to never know what would throw my dad into a rage. Right. And have him throwing bottles and uh, cussing me out and telling me I'm worthless and telling me my mom is worthless and, and you know yeah that that's the way I that's the way I grew up so obviously I catered to this world because I just thought well shit if my mom and dad can't get along there's there's no reason to even try mm-hmm. you know so I was disillusioned yeah yeah well and, and I think the part of that is well part of this is why this feels so unique. Uh, is because it's early enough in the whole punk rock cycle that you know we're still coming off of um, we're still coming off of the the sense of of freedom and individuality that started in like seventy seven yeah uh, where you know you would have bands that were totally disparate uh, in terms of uh, style in terms of you know so many things and there was there was that sense of freedom to be um, to be yourself before uh this whole thing got codified uh and you know monetized and all this other shit uh where it becomes segmented um and like you know kind of clicky right uh this was this was when you know everybody just kind of hung out because they were uh different yeah and they found community in that Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that was what made it special, and that's always what made it special for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was never about any sort of politics per se, although you know, obviously there are and were bands who were overtly political. Obviously. Yes. Uh, but that was not the draw. The draw was in finding other people who were like you, who you could get along with, who you know, who got you in uh, in that in that sense that uh, that the rest of the world didn't. Where you weren't into you know, if you weren't into sports, uh, as I never have been, uh, and to be perfectly blunt at this point in time, never am gonna be. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, you had to, you had to look for uh, for friends elsewhere. So yeah. where are you going to go? You're going to go to like the basement dwellers and you know uh, and stuff like punk rock or, or uh, you know heavy metal on a, on a yeah. slightly different level. They yeah. were they were a little more uh, mainstream and, and all of these things. And that's why that's why when uh, and I, this kind of sounds like gatekeepery uh, is you know when when all this quote unquote alternative shit uh, happened in the '90s. I was just kind of like. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, you're going to take that from me too, uh, and uh, and they did. So 
Yeah, they were. Uh, but the, but that's what it was, and that's and that's why you know. But that's why I, you know what I'm trying to get at here is that um, this is this is when there was still that uh, that sort of uh, unity uh, that you could uh, that you could have, and that you know these characters are uh, are clinging for right or uh you know you, you know what i'm trying to say um, no no i do i, I, think, I don't know if I, I don't know if i'm being a little more circuitous than i i probably should be in, no, i think in that, this description but i think that all kids find i well, i shouldn't say all kids well i, I do believe this honestly even me uh, to a degree much, yeah. to, who's very much to an a degree in, all kids yes. yeah i'm an insular person i'm very much an introvert by nature um, that's just who I am. And, uh, but I think everybody tries to find a place to belong. Absolutely. Uh, but some people, some people, it's a little more natural for than others. Yes. Especially if you, especially if you find yourself drawn in certain ways that are not considered, maybe not, not like unpopular, but not, um, not as, as popular. Yeah. I guess. Well, I think, yeah, we all go through that. My son's actually going through some of that now. And it's an interesting world now where they live in because, you know, him and his friends want to be, you know, YouTube streamers and things like that. And all this stuff is very foreign to me, obviously, as a 47-year-old man. I understand it. I do a podcast in my basement every week. Um, you know, he's trying to express himself in some way. And, you know, sure. I have i don't play music anymore. Uh, I don't write anymore. There's a lot of things I don't do that I used to do daily. Uh, so the podcast kind of, you know, watching these movies and talking movies with you and with Will and, and everybody else is, is kind of a creative outlet for me. Uh, not that I feel like I'm giving anything to the world other than my opinion, which isn't that creative, but it at least gives me something to talk about, uh, creatively, uh, creatively, uh, well, that word was hard to say this morning. That was, that was uh, rough. It was rough. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I had a different, I, I was the kind of kid who I could fit in with both groups. I'd never played organized sports, but I, I, I was athletic and could play with everybody. I could do everything, but I also was very much tied to the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, uh, Celtic Frost, uh, you know, Celtic Frost, however you want to say it. Uh, you know, I was also tied to those guys, to the guys that were in the basement, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes and, and questioning, you know, uh, devil worship and things like these, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the general silliness of all that. But I was, you know, I, w- I was in both worlds. So I had kind of a unique experience when it came to that. I could fit in in both sides, but I still always felt this odd sense of belonging to every group and was always trying to find my way yeah. I, and was yeah. cognizant enough to know that that's what I was doing at a young age. I was lucky. I think I don't, I don't think I ever got completely lost because I realized that I was looking for something because my upbringing was terrible. So yeah. well, I, 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 I'm just lucky that way. I don't think every, unfortunately I don't think every kid or every person gets that lucky. I think some of us sadly do not get that lucky. And I think that's why you have drug overdoses and suicides sure. and uh, you know, prison terms and all these things that unfortunately do happen. Sure. 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 Well, I mean, I and uh, you know, I'm I'm similar to you. I mean, I uh, I always got along with everybody on on both sides mm-hmm. of that that sort of uh, um, coin. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I've I've never, me personally, and I know that we've talked about this off air. Is that I have never, um, you know, to this day, felt completely comfortable in any 
in any sort of uh, social community. Yeah, you know, I've always I've always been a little too I'm a little too square for uh, you know punk and and skateboarding, and I'm a little too weird for you know uh, sports people and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. more mainstream sort of people. Yeah, uh, I've never ever ever been. Uh, a hundred percent comfortable in, in either one of those things. Yeah. Although I would tend towards this sort of thing, uh, towards the punk rock thing. If, uh, you know, given my, given my choice. Yes. Um, but at the same time I've, I've, you know, and that's the same thing with, with film. I've never, you know, been a hundred percent, uh, one way or the other, you know, I, I never, uh, agreed with uh, a lot of, uh, the popular stuff and I've never, you know, I've championed things that I probably shouldn't have at the same time. And I, I just, I, I kind of stick to my, my guns in that way. Right, but, right. um, but yeah, no, I, I've never, I've never been totally, I've always kind of been, and you know, kind of sounds like I'm kissing my own ass, but, uh, I've always kind of been, uh, that outsider in yeah. that way because I never, I, I've never just been, uh, or even if you I've haven't been, been yeah, you're, even if you haven't been, you've always felt that way, which is, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, just yeah, as yeah, important, maybe, right? maybe it's all in my head. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and I think that's that's important to say that though, because I think you know, a lot of times like-minded people end up finding each other. So sure, sure. You know, I'm the same way. Uh, I think Will probably between the three of us is the more social animal. Well, uh, he's the, he's the most likely to wear a mesh shirt. Yes, these days. <laughs> <laughs> like currently. Yes, like right now, he's sleeping in one. Yes, like as but, of right this second. Yes, but no, I think that you know, you know, I, I think that people like that find each other. I really do, and and I think that you know that's all part of the process i've never i'm with you i've never felt like even though i could get along in any group and i was going to say a minute ago uh, before we start talking about this that you know i think that probably will mean you both have as i've you know come to kind of in a layman's terms kind of study human behavior over the years watching documentaries reading books things like that it's 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 some type of survival instinct that we have Uh, yeah yeah the me and you we can survive but we'd rather We'd rather, if we had our choice, be doing our own thing. And I think that that's where, where we function at our best. I mean, my wife often asks me, you know, are you going to go, you know, do this? Your friends are getting together to go do this this weekend. This is before COVID, obviously. And uh, are you going to go? And I'm like, nah, just not really interested. And she's like, well, you grew up with those guys. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's just, you know, I've, I've been there, done that. You know, it's, a, you know, it's, I'd rather just stay home. I'd rather just do this. I'd rather just read a book. I'd rather watch a film. Yeah. And you call it antisocial disorder call it uh inch being an introvert call it uh call it being 50 yeah call it just whatever you want to call it you know i get my energy sadly or not so sadly in my opinion i get my energy from looking inward that's that's True. who i am and that's who i've come to the conclusion i always will be and it took me a long time to figure that out though it took me many many years to figure that out decades some people never do. I Some mean, people never do. They fight it their whole life. And, sure. uh, you know, it took me a long time to figure it out. And thankfully I did. But I think, you know, what Spears is going for in this movie and what the punk movement of the late 70s, early 80s was going for, uh, rather inadvertently or maybe completely, adver- you know, completely on the nose was, you know, th- these kids come from well off, not well, not well off. Well, yeah, maybe survivable some 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 are some are yeah i mean that's the reason why it's called suburbia the point was inclusivity yeah yeah but you know it also the point is feeling exclusive in that inclusiveness there is some of that yes which is that 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 tended to come that tended to come a little bit more like along this time yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, I think, you know, like all cultures are all movements or all whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. There becomes these introspective moments of, is this really what I want to do? Um, you know, I have a choice. And obviously there's some paths that are gone down in this movie. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I, I don't know. It gets into some pretty deep stuff because I think it's a, I think if anything, what I came away from with watching this film again was it's, it's, it's more of a cultural milestone for me than it is a great film. I think it's a really good film. I, I thought, yeah, it, it is something that definitely connects. Um, and uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely not going to connect with everybody in the same way. Yeah. Uh, because of its nature. Yeah. And I think it's pretty impressive to think that Penelope Spears made these cultural kind of phenomenon films. I mean, she didn't make a whole lot yeah. of movies, but she, no. but if you think about the films she made, even the big commercial ones, they're culturally relevant. Uh, Wayne's no, World. No, she had she had a lot more impact than uh, I think people give her yeah. credit for. Wayne's World. She made a Chris Farley movie. Yeah. Uh, speaking to him again, uh, she made this. She made obviously the decline of Western civilization films. One, two, and three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, all three of them are interesting in their own right. Absolutely. And uh, I think she did. Didn't she do the? Uh, yeah, she did Dudes, which is also, I think, yep. a more uh, pivotal movie than it is a great movie. Uh, you know, obviously. It, it's yeah, I. I I can't say that I enjoyed that one tremendously. Yeah. It's a little more Lynchian, I think. Yeah. It's a little bit Somewhere. more odd in tone. And it feels like with with Penelope Spears, sometimes because she did so many different types of movies, it feels like sometimes she was trying to find herself as well. Because, I mean, she, I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah. yeah. She was, you know, I mean, from 92 to, I don't know, the mid 90s. Oh, there goes the dog. Yeah. From 92 to the mid 90s. I mean, she was making big properties. She did Wayne's World, she did Beverly Hillbillies, and she did The Little Rascals. Um, those are big properties. Those are made to make money. Uh, they're not made for any other reason. They're made to make money. Um, and then she did Black Sheep, and then she kind of disappeared again. I think she did Senseless, which I believe I saw Senseless. Uh, I definitely have not. No, I did not. That's something else. This is a Marlon Wayne's. Brad Dorif and uh, David Spade. The Boys Next Door. <laughs> she did The Boys Next Door, which I did see that. I have seen that. So, but anyway, I mean, she just had she's had an interesting career and a career where it feels like she's been searching for things her whole life as well, and she's just gotten to do it uh, in cinema, if that makes sense. And some good well, document good documentaries in there as well, not just the decline of Western civilization. She's got some other stuff in there too. So, mm-hmm. anyway. All righty. Uh, so you do get to see uh, Flea uh, getting very, very cozy with his pet rat. Yeah. Um, He's got this weird thing and, he does in this movie where he, he talks and then he does this really strange look, stares right at somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you really get the feeling that the, that's just Flea being Flea. Uh, and that's yeah. a lot of the, you know, while we're at it, the acting in general is pretty wooden uh, overall. But you could tell that... Uh, you know, most of the kids in this movie are were not pros, or they were at least so early in their careers that they didn't really know better. Yeah, Peterson, um, uh, the Jack Diddley character, Peterson, he uh, he's got a very memorable line in Platoon. Uh, he acted for a little while, but I think she just found him at a skate park. Yeah, no, I, I completely believe that. And he didn't um, he didn't stay in there for long. Um, he worked with Lynch too, but uh, he's got a re- he's in Point Break as well. I, yeah, I guess he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. He's got a real memorable line in Platoon though. Uh, I just can't remember the line off the top of my head, sadly. I looked for it, actually, while I was watching this. Because he's got a very SoCal delivery. 
Absolutely. And every fucking line that he gives, he's got like this grin, this shit eating grin that he's got on his face yeah. in the entire movie. Yeah. Even even the line that like, you know, today doesn't age well. Well, yeah, that's not the worst <laughs> part. The worst part is he's black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the way uh, well, he says I mean, it. I'm, I'm getting to that, believe me. Um, so it, it's interesting to compare. Uh, like in, in Over the Edge, um, the kids live in a sort of uh, dissociated community that's under construction to escape like crime and, and uh, the urban areas and so on. And here, uh, the kids in this movie move into a dissociated area that's been abandoned by the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, both are uh, like against suburbia and like normality and that sort of thing. And, but the thing is that one is from the inside, one is from the outside. And I find that kind of an interesting comparison because I really do like both of the movies, uh, just for slightly different, uh, in in slightly different ways, I should say. Um, so throw that out there. Uh, so yeah, but, uh, like you were kind of getting to here, uh, this movie is extremely un PC. Um, yes. The uh, Joe Schmo character, he moves out of his house because his dad's gay uh, and he gets into to fights with him because of it. Um, although, you know, it's it's also kind of implied that, you know, he probably wouldn't really give a shit if any of the rejected uh, characters were gay. Um, so, I mean, there, there's that. I mean, there, there's like you said, you were saying about Diddley and, uh, you know, his dad being the cop who is uh, or I should say his stepdad. Stepdad, yeah. Um, who was the cop who was also black. Um, you know, and it, it also looks to me like uh uh several of the uh the the dogs uh in this movie may have been mistreated uh in the scene where oh, the uh, the yokels are shooting at them. There's you certainly, can see the wires. Oh yanking. my god. Certainly the one scene uh with that one shepherd. Uh, yeah, and obviously yeah, yeah. every he time I face plants. Oh yeah, it's like oh God. every time. Yeah, every time I see a German Shepherd, now I think of you because I know you have one. But <laughs> the the truth is that scene uh, is terrible. And, it is. It's, and, it's tough to watch. Yeah, and that whole moment, the, all those moments through that whole you know segment are pretty bad. But I think they're they're all too kind of a commentary on you know. Yep. Yep. On the fact that you know we sometimes see dogs as these innocent creatures. The same way some people see young kids as these innocent creatures. And the, although there is something terrible that happens with the dog in the beginning of this film, a dog knows no better sometimes. A dog is doing something to survive. And maybe it doesn't make sense to us. But the same way I think that kids sometimes do what they have to do to survive. Well, that's exactly that's my my very next note is you know speaking of the dogs, uh, I think that they do make a nice metaphor for the protagonists of the uh, movie as well because they're wild and they're doing what they have to survive. Because yeah. you you look at um, the uh, the rejected people, uh, they rob houses while the dogs will attack anything in their you know radius. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, I don't think that, you know, we may not approve of what they do and we certainly don't approve of, of people getting uh, attacked by animals, uh, but we can understand, I think, why they do it. And it's that survival mode that kicks in. Uh, so we're willing to, you know, kind of grant them a little bit, um, although we don't, you know, necessarily um, think that it's okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, go back to the, the NPC thing is that, you know, this movie, it also has a major character who's a skinhead, um, who's not portrayed like they typically are. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not a Nazi That's and right. he's one of the more together members of the group, you know, though he definitely has, uh, rage issues. He has rage um, issues. And yeah, your first introduction to him, you're like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit, but 
you well, come yeah, to find because, out that because, he's, yeah, because of that particular scene. Yeah. yeah. You come to find out some different. So, I mean, I don't know how I feel about the character, but I certainly feel like he's very human because he's complicated. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. And I, I me, me, uh, my own thing is that I love him. I, I love, I love that he's so incredibly plain spoken out of all of them. He comes off maybe the most authentic. Yeah, I don't know if that actor. Uh, I don't know if that me, actor ever did anything else. I I can't think of anything else. A lot of people in this personally. movie didn't really go on to anything else. Chris Peterson well, no, because did they were not bit. professionals. Yeah. yeah, Flea obviously did, and I, there's well, some other he people here and there. Yeah, but uh, you know, it, the, a lot of these guys. I mean, Bill Cohen, who plays Evan, he he died pretty young. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking now to see if the Timothy O'Brien guy did anything else. You just, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, no, I, he, I can't think of a single thing that no, I've seen him in. He didn't do other anything. than this. Yeah. And he, you know, obviously he feels like a very much an amateur actor, like a first time actor, sure. but it works yeah. for what he's going for. Matter of fact, most of the people in the movie, the punk kids, uh, I'd say are either, it's either their first thing or they're close to first well, I thing. Would- I would tend to imagine, and I don't know if this is true because I haven't had the chance to listen to the uh, the one of the two commentaries on this disc, which I'm extremely excited about. Um, I would imagine that she just kind of got them out of the scene, just picked them out of the yep. you know, crowds from uh, from shooting yep. uh, her documentary stuff. Probably would be would be my thinking. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking through most of these uh, people that are in the movie, and it's pretty much this is their only film, maybe one other. Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, so, likewise, um, you know, the yokels in this thing are the villains, right? But we get, we do get a little bit of uh, nuance from them as well, because we find out that you know the two main ones are you know laid off from GM, and they're also doing what they have to do, kind of in the same way that the the rejected do, kind of in the same way that the dogs do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of it's pretty smart to do that uh with the villains because obviously you never want to have that thing and you always have the the idea that villains never think that they're villains right um and maybe you know maybe these two guys uh were the same jerk offs you know before they got laid off but uh we're not interested we are not introduced to them uh before the layoff so we can assume uh that that the layoff uh had an influence on the way that they're behaving now yeah. Uh, and plus I find that it's kind of funny that they have this, um, this, uh, rather drawn out conversation about their moral superiority while they're sitting in a dive strip bar. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I, I mean, you have that and you get the, you get, you get all the, the sort of, you know, the parent meetings with, you know, Oh, we got to stop these kids blah, 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 all that kind of shit. We get, we get all of that's in here. Um, I do truly believe that chicken butt is one of the defining jokes of the eighties. Pretty good. Uh, if you don't know Chicken Butt, you need to look it up on your Googles or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, just, I always got a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Gibson uh, lends a really nice score to this movie. Uh, I think that it uh, it fits very nicely both when it's going heavy synth or when it's going you know kind of heavy punk. Um, and it has this really wonderful uh, foreboding quality to it, uh, much like the entire movie. It really suits the uh, the attitude of it. Uh, all the way throughout, I think. Um, of course, you get the uh, the Jennifer Clay, uh, the Sheila character. Uh, her story is naturally the most tragic out of everybody's that we we get in depth uh, at any particular point in the movie. Uh, just like you know, her her intro in the movie is the most shocking. Her story is the uh, the most tragic. 
but it's not particularly uh, surprising, I don't think, uh, in a lot of ways. I think that you know this is the the uh, the type of story that we expect from you know runaway girls in movies, uh, and of course it can only go one of two ways, uh, as these uh, these things are wont to do. Um, let's see here. The uh, the normies who start the fight with Skinner have some truly tragic wigs in this thing. I mean, they're like they're bad, bad. Um, the the hair pieces that they're they're sporting. Uh, but uh, this scene uh, when uh, we have this sort of fight when these two guys roll up on in I think it was it was it a Camaro or a Cor- Corvette and I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, but this scene I think also starts the uh, the downhill slide of the uh, protagonist being you know ov- overtly antagonized by quote unquote normal people, uh, and of course this will you know uh, lead to the end of things in a very sort of um, uh, self fulfilling kind of way. Uh, we get a, a nice brief little snot rocket tutorial that I like to think that Bolo Young uh, watched and studied uh, at length before he appeared in uh, Bloodsport with the Mr. Van Damme. Um, and then you get, uh, yeah, the uh, the big authority figure, the Renard character, the uh, the black stepdad of uh, the Cody Peterson character. Uh, he comes in, and this is around like the two-thirds of the way through movie. Uh, he makes a very well-intentioned plea to the, uh, the yep. kids. Um, and I think that this is the most on-the-nose scene in the entire picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does add a little bit of gray to the situation from the the the, the like normal slash adult side of the table uh so you, you're never you're never left with only one aspect of the movie it, it does try to be a little more yeah um all-encompassing in a lot of ways right. uh, to give uh, multiple perspectives on uh, on where these where 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 everybody is coming from yeah he genuinely they, feels they, like he's helping right he's trying to yeah help. He's, well he's he definitely wants to he definitely still cares about uh, the Cody character. So by proxy, he then, you know, cares about the other kids, you know, and, and you kind of get the feeling that he would have regardless because he's, he's truly what, uh, what we, what we want, um, authority figures to be, what we want police to be, yes. uh, genuinely there to serve the community and to, and to care about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the finale when it comes is, is actually pretty low key, uh, right up until the big moment, uh, that you know you'll know it when you see it, uh, but I think that it works, and I think that it works even more in how abruptly the movie ends. Then, because we're left with this uh, moment, and we have no real resolution, and I think that that plays perfectly to the film's intent, yeah. um, by and large. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the movie is is simple. It may even be too simple. Uh, I think that it tends towards episodic, and I think that, that comes from um, Spheris, who uh, you know wrote the movie as well as uh, directed it, uh, and I think that that um, you know came from uh, just her experience and, like I said, her relationship with these these people in the first place from uh, her documentary work. I think you know generated then uh, what she put down on the page that then she put on the screen uh and i think that that unfortunately kind of queers the pacing a little bit yeah uh but you know i think that by that same token this is very well done as a sort of docudrama in that aspect in that sense uh and i think that it's cheapness uh, because this was produced by i believe it was produced by corman um yeah he's he's involved it was released by him uh but 
uh, I think that its cheapness adds to the grittiness and the authenticity of it. And I, you know, I gotta say that I still really, really love this movie. Uh, like, love it to bits. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I do think that's something that uh, that more people should uh, be talking about that aren't. Um, but what are you gonna do? Uh, but it is uh, it is on um, on uh, Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray, and it is available. Uh, certainly through uh, Diabolic uh, yeah. DVD. So Shout Select, right? I think this is a Shout Select release. I, think uh, I believe it is a Shout Select. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of doing. They kind of do those. In, I would say it's kind of their artsy label, but you know, I get well. I get to me, it is because they did put Roadhouse out. So you know, <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, that's just, dude. I mean, high art. That is high art. Come on, Fellini wishes Jeez. he would have made Roadhouse. Fellini wishes he could have written a line like I used to fuck guys like you in prison. But, you know, <laughs> Who doesn't? What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> right? Who doesn't wish they would have wrote that I line? wish I had thrown it into this <laughs> review now. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, but that's uh, that's all that I got uh, kicking over you for, for anything else. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I, like I said, I think it's a, it's more of a, a statement and a, a snapshot in time than it is a a great film but i do enjoy the film quite a bit and uh, i'm glad it's out there it's it really is good it captures a lot of the spirit that i think people were going through or at least the youth was going through in the early 80s um and what they were well, trying and i'm to, sure and i'm sure to some degree still are i mean yeah oh yeah i know they are just i don't know little, what it yeah, is <laughs> yeah right i'm so i'm so disillusioned with uh what pop culture is right now i don't even know what it is that the, I don't uh, even get the kids nowadays are into i mean I'm, I'm, I, know. <laughs> I just need to have a burgy beer and just chill you know have you ever had a burgy i don't think so that's what they drink in this movie they still a six a 12 pack of burgy b-u-r-g-i-e i gotta i gotta google burgies I meant to do that while you were talking, and I never got around to it. Uh, we'll see if I can find it uh, as two fellow beer enthusiasts as we are. Indeed. Uh, Bergie's Beer Sign. There it is. Six 16-ounce cans for $1.79. Uh, Bergie Brewmeister Brewing Vintage Neon Beer Sign. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, the history of Bergie Beer here. I feel like this is a, <laughs> I feel like this is a uh, Bergy beer history. Here we go. I feel like this is like a like a yeah. So it's San Francisco beer. Uh, okay. Uh, the Bergy beer. Burgermeister was Meister told, sold. Burger? Yeah, they were sold to Schlitz in '61. Oh well, that explains everything. <laughs> Burgermeister beer was the uh, that was their most popular offering. So anyway, uh, what happened to Bergy beer? Stopped brewing in 72 and sold to Schlitz. But I guess they, like a lot of things in that world, I guess they kept the uh, label going. Well, you know what they say, Schlitz today, Schlitz tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bergy today. Ooh, Bergy tomorrow. <laughs> um, but I did quite enjoy the movie. Uh, some of it, you know, on a personal level, obviously, I've, I've been to, I've not been to a show where somebody gets their dress completely torn off, but I've been to shows no, that are very no. much like this where crowds... You know, music's playing and the bands are trying to get people involved and nobody wants to get involved. And <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um, so I, all that kind of stuff hit home. I, there's a scene in here. Uh, again, you've gotten through most of the story elements of the film, so I'll just kind of jump in with a couple things. There's a funeral director in here. It looks like a second-rate Joe Spinell. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, but I, I think 
So, you know, I know the film has to have a narrative hook and it has to have a protagonist and an antagonist and all these things. It's funny, the the redneck characters, they're so kind of one-dimensional in a weird way that it's very kind of odd. Uh, don't get me wrong. I understand why they exist, and there certainly are people like that. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. Uh, still oh, I to know this plenty day, of them. Yeah, still to this day, and there's probably it might be more prevalent today than it was then. But um, I, I do think she's making some commentary there as well. You know, these guys lost their job. They're selling their camper. Yes. Uh, they obviously have problems with alcohol. Probably, uh, you get alcohol and firearms involved. You know, El Caminos. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, so there's all that. Uh, that's obviously a bad joke on my part, but still, um, you know, I, I I think there's disillusionment from them as well because the American dream, quote unquote, has let them down. Yes. So I think the the film overall is about all of that. Uh, it's about all these things that we think we want. When in reality, all we really need to get by is very basic things, uh, possibly friendship, uh, some type of therapy for our, not, not, and I don't mean professional therapy, but some type of thing that gets us through the day. Um, you know, for me and you, it might be uh, comic books and a beer yeah. or, you know, a good film. But for somebody else, it might be a trip to Burger King and, uh, I don't know, a drive through a park. I mean, I'm just making up shit off the top of my head, but you have to be able to process that. You have to be able to know what these things are. And I think the our lead character uh, is trying to discover himself, right? And they're all trying to find themselves. And some have found themselves, and they're very comfortable in their skin, uh, yep. i.e. the Skinner character. Yep. Uh, and the uh, the Joe Schmo, well, not the Joe Schmo, but the uh, uh, Joe Did- but Jack Diddley or whatever. Jack Diddley, Diddley. yeah. Yep. Uh, that character are kind of comfortable in a way, but the, even the Jack Diddley character is interesting because obviously he's processing things too. Like he's probably sure. processing some prejudice he might have. He's processing some, obviously some anti-authoritarian type stuff, uh, yeah. which is, well, I, I, and all of them have that. There's no, there's no such thing as a perfect, uh, character in this no, movie. No, there's they're not. not, they don't, they, it's not like they're, they're lily pure. Yeah. Uh, you know the the protagonist is yeah. not like they're lily pure and they're you know portrayed as being you know um, these these perfect little things that you know have nothing to no criticisms to uh, to be had. Yeah, I mean, there's the the sense that again, they're you know they they're rebelling against what society stands for, but at the same time, some of that stuff that is taught by their parents dwindles down into them, yes. and. Yeah they're struggling with that as well. You know, they're struggling with, you know, I got to get a job. I got to go to school you know, all these things, you know, I'm, my dad's gay and I, I'm having a hard time processing that. And uh, because obviously being homosexual in the early eighties, not a, not a popular, still not a popular thing. No, no, still not not a popular thing. Sadly. Uh, uh, it's just, well, I think now it's a lot more, well, it's it's a lot more accepted than it was certainly no doubt. But I mean, it's just, you know, they're having a hard time processing this. So they're rebelling sure. against everything society stands for, but at the same time, they're taught to dislike those things and they're still ha- they're still harboring some of those feelings as well. So it's right. it's very and complicated. I, I that, well, th- and yeah, and I think that, that that's that's part of, I think, what Spheris is trying to, to get at and part of, I think, why this appeals to guys like you and me is that, you know, part of what we get out of this movie is that it is it is about America. Yes. 
in in a lot of ways, and in in its its both uh, promise and its failures. Yes, uh, a- and how it fails uh, people, you know, who you know, not not just uh, the people who were are are not. Uh, not the who don't belong, but you know the, the other people as well. And that's why that's why I think it's kind of important that we get that sort of graying in yes. of the uh, the redneck characters, mm-hmm. um, because we you know we need to see that you know it's not just these kids uh, who are you know taking it up the ass more or less yeah. um, from uh, from you know the the society in in general. Yeah, I think that that's very important to the movie. I, do I think too. That that's that's kind of why I like it so as much as I do is because it really does speak to me. Uh, in, in a certain, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a little more subconscious than, uh, than we would, uh, you know, than we would expect it to be, but yeah. I think, I think it's there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that, you know, again, I think I, I have the same feelings toward another film that I think is about the death of the American dream in a lot of ways. Uh, and that I think it's very important, although I don't absolutely adore the film and that's like the deer hunter, which I think is also about okay. the kind of death of the American dream and the death yeah, of the working yeah, yeah. man in a lot of ways. Yeah, and what that all kind of disillusionment. Yeah, the yeah. disillusionment, right? And it's not it's not as punk rock, but if you think about it, right, it is kind of punk rock because it it becomes this thing of survival, and mm-hmm. that's all punk rock is. That's all any youth movement is. It's it's survival, mm-hmm. maybe on a psychological level, but certainly on some level to get through all these mixed feelings and emotions you have as a as a young person. And, you know, you need something to put that energy into and music and film and writing and all these things are very important for that, I think. And well, you need, you need in order to in order to become an adult, you know, you have to have that distinguishment from, uh, you know, the older the older society, the older age, the, your parents, all that sort of, sort right, of shit. You right. have to have that sort of thing. You yeah. have to have, there has some to be separation way. Yeah. Yes. There has to be separation. You might come back yes. around like, you know, my dad loved sure. Black Sabbath when I was a kid. And so when I got to, of age, I totally rebelled against Black Sabbath and some of that music, which is funny because come back around and I realize you can like Black Sabbath and you can like TSOL and you can like Gordon Lightfoot and you can like yeah. Venom and you can you can like anything you want to like. There's All nothing. at the same time. There's How about nothing. That? Yeah, there's nothing that says you have to like this or like that. But yes. at some point in your youth, you think to yourself, I'm not supposed to like that. That's right. And you go through this process and everything else. And how you come out on the other side says a lot about your character and who you are and, and all well, those things. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's that whole thing about you know these kids calling themselves the rejected. It's not just that they are rejected. It's that they are rejecting. Yes, exactly. And that's that's pretty much punk in a nutshell, right? Reject the establishment. I mean, that is that sure. is the whole ideology behind the punk movement in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the movie's interesting. I had forgotten that it's bookended by such tragedy, uh, uh, yeah. and I had forgotten all about that. And that's funny because honestly, one of the things you come away from, I think, some of the most memorable stuff in this movie is the tragedy. And the loss of innocence and all that kind of stuff. And it's weird because, like, I totally had forgotten about it. And uh, so it kind of smacked me in the face again watching it this time. And I had meant to go back and watch this after the Destroy All Movies book had come out, the Zach Carlson book. I had read through that book, and I remember thinking, yeah, I need to go check out. Because I'd, I'd like Linklater's film, and I thought maybe Linklater's film and Bogosian's script was a remake of this film. But it wasn't. It's a totally different type of, uh, you know, a decade later and totally different type of feel. 
but still some of that disillusionment and lost youth type of feel that re- I got another <laughs> do you hear that no I hear you Oh, there's some like to learn more about Love Sack's actionals, the world's most adaptable. Oh my god, or to schedule a private shopping appointment, yeah, visit lovesack.com. Lovesack.com displayed an ad. Wait, Love Sack? Yes, is that what I think it is? <laughs> no, it's not what you think it is, although it did kind of okay. sound that way. All right, oh my god, it scared the shit out of me, too. <laughs> I'm it's, it's gotten to a point to where I'm gonna have to keep the internet off to record the show Fucking a. because the ads don't even show. Like they just pop up. They don't even pop up in a window. Like they just they play. Dude, that's a crock of shit. It is. It is. I'm looking right now for any type of picture of lovesack.com, which I believe is a furniture thing. And I hope so. I don't, wouldn't don't I'm not gonna Google it right now, you know what I'm saying? But uh yeah, I have nothing, nowhere. But I have IMDB open, I have a Blu ray site open, and I have Google open. And Yet somehow, some way, these ads come through. So that's twice. So this this week on the show, we are sponsored not only by Dialog DVD, but by Lovesack.com. And nice. L- LG is sponsoring us this week, too. So there you yes. go. That's who played earlier. LG and Lovesack, you can send your money to uh, to Sammy. Yeah, I'm shutting the internet browser down completely now. I'm starting to wonder if it is at Spotify, because I keep that open sometimes, too. And I'm starting to Maybe. wonder if that isn't it as well. Anyway, neither here nor there. Please forgive us uh, or forgive me for the awful uh, intrusion of that garbage. Uh, although it might lead to some co- comedic relief for some. <laughs> uh, not me, though. Very frustrating, I should say. Fuck you, love sack. Son uh, of a bitch. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I really enjoyed a rewatch. And I, too, am looking forward to the commentaries on this. I think Jennifer Clay, actually, this is her only film. She does one of the commentaries with Penelope Spears on this, so... Nice. I'd like to hear what she has to say or lack thereof, maybe. And uh, Spirits, I've listened to commentary from her before. She's pretty good. So, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, something is still trying to play. I can hear it trying to come through. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck it's coming from, though. I will say this about that. I am not hearing it. So I'm going to assume that anybody who's listening right now is not so, hearing it. Yeah. Well, you'll, so at least you'll, you'll, you'll be wrong. That much. Yeah, you'll be wrong if you go back and listen to the show. There it goes. Now we got a Toyota Thanksgiving uh, sale being played. I hope they send me a car. I will take it. Spotify is not on. It's not on Spotify. I have no idea where it's coming from, dude. Seriously. Okay. Nothing is open, and it's still playing right now. Here, I'll. You can hear it now. Now I hear it. Yeah. Let's go places. There you go. Fuck. It just, it just randomly that. played. It just randomly plays. Fuck do they think they are. Now Toyota is sponsoring our show. We we are really uh, we are really we stepping have up. We sold the fuck out, man. We really we have. The fuck out. I mean, we really have. Fuck the internet right now. <laughs> fuck it in the butthole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, only. Oh my god. Anyway, a little I'm, fucking prolapsed. Uh, uh fuck this thing this is so stupid i don't understand it i've never had in all the years of doing this podcast and it's been some time now random ads playing has never been a problem until recently fuck this bullshit anyway uh yeah no but i'm 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 glad i rewatched it though uh i still think it's very important cultural movie and uh cultural kind of counterpoint to what was going on at the time so 
Uh, I'll see what my score is. I think we're pretty close, though. Uh, although I think you might have a general nostalgia for it. It might be like the get crazy thing. You might. Uh, yeah, a bit, a bit. Maybe maybe a bit more than I do, but we'll see. Let's hear your make or breaks MVTs. Uh, so MVT, I'm giving it to Spheris. I think that she does a really great job taking something that she's passionate about, making something that stays true to it, uh, while also being you know pretty entertaining. Um, make or break, I am gonna go with the scene where they sneak into the mall uh, with the lawn that they uh, that they stole. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Uh, because I, I don't think that anything really sums up the punk scene in the 80s more than <laughs> yeah. uh, vandalizing and taking advantage of a monument to consumerism while calmly watching a dozen TVs broadcasting about the likely effects of a nuclear bomb and talking yes. about how fucked up your life is. Yep. Uh, I think that, that is the kind of the summation of the whole thing. Uh, and score for me, yeah, I, I do come in pretty high on this one. Uh, I'm an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it does, and and yeah, part of it is uh, is certainly uh, nostalgia for me. But I do I do still think that this movie is uh, just a ton of, uh, of fun, and it really it speaks to me uh, in a lot of ways. So. Nice, nice. Um, okay, yeah, uh, my MVT is also Spears. I think she pretty much nails it. Uh, there are some uh, some ads still trying to play in the background. I can hear them trying. I still don't know where they're coming from. Uh, it's disturbing. Uh, the internet is haunting me today. Um, I'll make a break. Hmm. Did somebody poop on your skull? Uh, no, that's the next movie. The, uh, make a break. I'm trying to think. I feel like somebody's pooping on my skull. All right. Um, man, there's a lot of good scenes in this movie. Uh, I like the scene where he shows up at the TR house the first time. When you, okay. Yeah. I'm still trying to, I'm going to put the, I'm going to share the sound. Just so you can hear it in case it tries to come through again. It's pretty much at this point, it's making me irate. Um, I have no idea where the ads are coming from, but uh, fuck you. I feel like I've got like some type of like a spyware or something on my computer that's just like randomly that playing ads. Try a different browser. Well, I don't even have a, br- I don't even have a browser open now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've shut it all down. The only thing open right now is the audacity to record the show and the Skype to talk to you. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's all it's open. And it's still every now and then an ad's coming through. No clue where it's coming from. None. Anyway, we'll keep the share the screen thing open and maybe that will eliminate the ads. If not, at least you'll be able to react to them and we can have fun. There you go. Um, yeah, man. I like that scene a lot where they show up. You know, she's given the haircuts, these kind of jagged, terrible haircuts with dull scissors and yeah. you got roaches everywhere and you can see the the poverty and the general disdain for everything but everybody of course is still sitting around watching tv because you know you can only leave you know americanism you can only leave it you know that that so far i mean you still got to have some type of survival mechanism right tv and music and things like that you know so interesting um and i think there's a commentary there as well the same thing is with your uh scene with the the removal of the sod and the watching the multiple tvs in the mall i mean obviously there's yeah. some cultural commentary going on there i'm just a little yep. lower on score than you are i'm a 7.5 out of 10 i okay. still think this is a very important movie i think it's a bit disheveled in a weird way and a bit it uh, is it um, is i mean like i said i think it, it tends towards the episodic yeah i think that, that comes just from the the nature of uh, what spheris was doing when she was writing it yeah but but and again i gotta give you know some of it's got to be falling on you know spheris being a, a, a young filmmaker at this point so 
Yeah, now, she's yeah, figuring yeah. it out too. I mean, I think she's only thirty something years old at this point, which by filmmaker standards is pretty young. Um, you know, I know some filmmakers start making movies in their early twenties, but if you look at a lot of filmmakers, they really don't start hitting their stride until their late twenties, early thirties, uh, or even establishing themselves at all. I think until their thirties. So, um, you know, it takes time to tell stories. I think I honestly believe that it takes time. It takes some living to be able to tell a story. Sometimes you get uh, people who can just tell stories right away. It's like a God-given talent, but um, most folks, I think, don't really start to tell really good stories until they've lived a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's really good, and I'm looking forward to the special features on this puppy. Yep. 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 All right, we're going to take a short break, and uh, hopefully Toyota, LG, or somebody in between will let you know what we think of everything. <laughs> uh, I shut Spotify down, too. I'm going to have to open that back up, but Fuck. I hate that. Anyway, uh, whatever. Um, we'll take a short break. We'll come back and talk about the Taste of Tea 2003. We'll be back right after this. Wonderful that, rock and roll sounds of rocking is my business. <laughs> and is that what uh, Rob Zombie's up to these days? No, no, this is uh, not Rob Zombie, but uh, a little bit uh, Alabama Thunder Pussy, a little bit more rock and roll than I think Rob Zombie is. Rob Zombie certainly got his own style. Uh, there's not enough yeahs in the, the Thunder <laughs> <Yeah>. Pussy. <laughs> there's not enough yeah in the Thunder Pussy there. Uh, great band name, uh, unfortunately. One of those band names where you just can't, you know, hey, hey, everybody, let's, let's throw on some Thunder Pussy. So, you know, well, teach their own. And yet I could go to see Octopussy. Yes. Well, and oddly, um, you know, I mean, it's it's just like pure punk rock in a way. It's just plain old rock and roll. I mean, that's all it is. Sure. <laughs> and with a punk rock name, and it's just, that's all it is. Anyway, as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate bands that are just like, you know, this is what we do. And there's whatever i don't care if you like it or not <laughs> this is who we are all right uh the taste of tea 2004 says imdb 2003 said uh something else and me so who knows uh the dvd yeah uh, from third window yeah there says we go 2003 so there we go uh katsuhito ishii who uh i think uh that we've uh well i wasn't on the show but i know i think uh, will covered funky forest i think it was on here at some point uh, he's kind of an interesting filmmaker. Uh, for those who have no awareness of him, he's uh, he's the guy that uh, I think he directed the uh, animated sequence in Kill Bill. 
Uh, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he uh, he also worked on um, uh, Evangelion. Yeah, and I think uh, his, as well as other people who were involved in this movie. Yeah, and I think his first film was a Gamera film. If I if I'm right, I might be wrong about that, but I believe Ishii's a, was a Gamera guy. Uh, I don't th- uh, think so. Uh, but well, maybe not his first film, but no, actually, his most recent film. <laughs> Uh, was a well, yeah, no, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't involved in the Heisei, um, yeah. cameras. Yeah, it looks like he just made a short. His first film would have been Shark Skin Man and Peach Hip Girl. Yes, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, if I'm, yeah, this is the only one of his movies that I've seen. Yeah, the only one of his films that I've seen. Yeah, so. I had no real awareness of this movie. I'd heard the title before, but I had no real awareness of the film. So uh, it was interesting to kind of check this out. Yeah, it's a not, it's not a short film. Uh, no, no, no. It's a long one. It's I was kind of half hours. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of not ready for that, but I got to say, it went through pretty breezy. Uh, my son came in at some point and was watching some of it with me, and as he's gotten older, I kind of like experienced some of the stuff, and I knew there wasn't anything too harsh in the movie, but. I knew also because of its surreal nature that it might be like him looking at me like, Dad, what the hell are you watching? Which there was a couple moments like that. Uh, yeah, just the uh, Blu-ray that. menu alone with the uh, train coming out of the uh, the Hajime uh, character's forehead, the Takahiro yep. Sato character. So anyway, uh, we'll kind of get into it a little bit here. Uh, I guess the most well-known name in the film, probably uh, Tadanabu Asano. Uh, he's in the movie playing the uncle, the kind of disinterested uh, <laughs> uh, uncle who seems kind of lost sometimes, but uh, has actually kind of got some quite poignant things. And as a kid, takes the largest dump on a skull we've ever seen in cinema history. <laughs> <laughs> the the cartoon crap scene, uh, which is pretty great. Um, uh, some other fo- folks in here, uh, Tatsuo uh, Gushin, who I think uh, he might be more known for his eyebrow. And I say that uh, lovingly than he is for anything else. I think he's only mostly worked with with this director. Well, he's worked on a few things. He looks like he did some stuff. Well, he's in Spirited Away as a voice. and But he mostly works with uh, Ishii. So I guess they must be yeah. friendly or something. Yeah, but his his eyebrows definitely are insane. Yeah, you said eyebrows. Trust me. This guy, well, yeah. This guy doesn't have. Yeah, he doesn't he's got have. A very, he's a very burnt fucking eyebrow set going it's, a, on it's amazing it's 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 quite prevalent and quite uh amazing uh probably the only other name i really know from this movie a lot is anna sushia i i think it's how you say her name sushia sushia yeah yeah who oh, she was in, she was in kamikaze girls yeah as well yeah, which yeah. i was turned on to by will but also she's gorgeous yeah, uh, yeah, she is absolutely <laughs> stunning, yeah. a woman, and yeah. I love her voice. Yeah, yeah, she has she's, this raspy uh, sort of voice that just, yeah, man, and she makes everything it, about that woman does it for me. Yeah, and she makes quite an impact in this movie. I mean, once she shows yes. up and stuff, she makes quite an impact in the film. So yes, and she does, and she does it doing very little. She's it's very, uh, very casual sort of uh, charisma that she has going on here. Yeah, she just got a natural. There's something very natural about her on screen. So. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the film is also known as Chanoaji. Uh, I think it's about as good as I can pronounce that. Uh, and the plot <laughs> synopsis is, I didn't give the plot synopsis in the beginning, so I'll go back and do it now. But, I mean, it's a very simple plot synopsis and really just kind of the best way to describe the movie. Uh, it's a spell of time of a spell of time of a rural family's slightly surreal life. 
Yes. I don't know what the spell of time of a rule. I don't know what that means. But anyway, it is a movie about surrealism. That's what it really is all about. It's about, I think, again, identity and trying to figure yourself out Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, Puberty, uh, pre-puberty, young adulthood, uh, middle-aged, and the back end of our lives. It's about pretty much everything, I think, that we go through in our life because it, at 143 minutes it's dealing with all those things it's dealing with mortality it's dealing with our work lives it's yeah. dealing with our passions it's dealing with our confusions and our goals and our romances and all these things so it's pretty epic in its kind of scope even though it doesn't feel like a big film at all it, it's kind of a quiet it does of, feel very intimate, intimate yeah. yeah it's a very intimate film it really is it's and it's very Japanese in a lot of ways. It's yes. very yeah, yeah. quiet and very respectful. And uh, although there is some really, truly odd odd moments, the mountain song is yum, 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 yum. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is a moment you'll never forget when you see it. No. Uh, um, but it's it's very much about storytelling, too. And I think it's very much about how families tell each other stories and how that develops in our young imaginations and what that means and how sometimes we don't see the wonderfulness of life mm-hmm. until sometimes something is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something we're all guilty of. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a human condition, a curse, you could say, in a lot of ways. And uh, I found that kind of poignant. I actually found the whole movie very poignant. I didn't know what I was thinking about when I first started watching it. I mean, I got some... Some early, can you start first start watching? You get some, some, uh, you know, kind of go back to our Jabberwocky conversation last week. You get some Gilliam vibes, not in production design, but certainly in imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right off the bat, you kind of know there's a there's a train, a three car train that comes out of one of our leads. The sun comes out of his forehead and leaves this kind of gaping train sized hole in his forehead, and you think, okay, I'm in for something kind of different here. This is going to be, at the very least, a unique experience. And it's certainly an experience told from, you know, somebody's imagination. In this case, uh, Ishii's imagination. Imagination. That was not easy to say. Ishii's imagination. Um, and because of that, I, I fell kind of in love with the story because obviously it's told from one person's perspective. So it's his imagination coming through. Yes. And because he's worked in the animation world and everything else, some of the characters are... Uh, anime uh well the mother seems to be an animator of some sort yes yes she's an animator uh there is the uh the Todoroki uh, uh character who is the one who gives us the mountain song uh and he is a, an actual um manga artist i do believe and he has yeah. worked with Hideaki Anno who did the evangelion and who worked with uh Ishii in the um in the, the anime world as well yeah um Anime plays yeah, a very no, heavy part in this movie, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know... I, it's as, yeah, it's as influenced by that as it is by anything else. Yeah, by by uh, mythology and fables and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and I don't think it's... When we say that, because that might turn some people off, because I know some people really don't like anime at all, and I understand that. I totally get it. It's very much a fair cultural enough. thing. And, you know, it's totally fair. But what I, I think is important is the culture around anime is really kind of discussed in this. And it's not... It's Again, it's not a prevalent part of the movie, but at many times during the movie, animation is kind of on the the boundaries of the story. And it's kind of helping tell the story along. 
there's not a lot of an, actual animation in the film, but animation is also a it's a very insular art, a very uh, introspective art to be an animator. I can't imagine what that's like. I could not do it, but uh, I don't have the patience for it. Uh, I should say that I have the patience for model building, but I don't have the patience for animation. Of course, I also don't have the natural ability to draw. So for me, I can still understand the the work. I can understand those aspects right. of it and how that makes you delve into the mind. And it also makes you very observant. I think what's interesting about the grandpa character is that, and I don't want to give this away, obviously, but there's a super poignant moment. Maybe one of my, maybe my favorite poignant, my favorite moment in the movie, more than likely, mm-hmm. where they find some things that he had been animating. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he had been watching them, and this was kind of his way, because he's an odd character. Yes. This is kind of his way of showing love, even though he couldn't really show it so much. Or it wasn't that he was incapable of showing it, but maybe he just wasn't interested in showing it. Or maybe it was both. But it's interesting that they discover this natural love that he had for his family. Right. Well, it's it's a lot. It's a lot about expression. Yes. Which is what what the movie is about. It's about expression. I, I think, think so. It's an absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant um, payoff that we get with the with Grandpa and the Sachiko character, the, yes. the young girl, because it's it sort of explains their their odd game that they have throughout the movie and yes. that they will they keep referring to not only between the young character and the, and the grandpa character but the, the other characters as well um they notice when these things are are absent then and it perfectly envisions um this moment does at the you know and it is towards the end of the movie uh it perfectly envisions uh the sachigo character's own goal in the film in a very poetic way Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know that then it turns very trippy a couple of quick scenes down the road and then it turns very poetic again for the final sequence of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is, it really is, it is absolutely brilliant and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, try and, and hide it, but dude, I got misty a few times, uh, in this movie and this was a second time watch for me. Yeah. So this isn't, that, um, that's interesting yeah. because I also, uh, got misty a few times, uh, watching this and this is a first time watch for me. And right. I think I think it I think it's because it it hits on a lot of things. It hits on like we like I talked about. It hits on old age, yeah. Which whether me and you like it or not, we are approaching. Dude, uh, I mean, mouth. we're middle aged now, but I mean, you know, it is in our futures. Okay, it's 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 inevitable if we're I'm lucky. Still twenty. Yeah, if we're lucky. Yeah, I know. I feel that way sometimes. And then I realize if I don't go use the restroom, I'm going to go in my pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you know, and you laugh because you know what you you know, I know of what exactly I speak. What you're talking about. <laughs> that is the difference between being twenty and being forty something. <laughs> those yeah, muscles, sure. those so muscles muscular, change. Uh, muscular parameters. <laughs> yeah. That, uh... <laughs> those things change completely. <laughs> this brought to you by Toyota. Fucking uh, a right. But the uh, no the uh, I think. Yeah, you know, not just that, but I mean, even the young, like the the Sano character, he's a music mixer, and yeah. he's obviously he's went through a bad relationship or a relationship that ended badly anyway, and he's working through that, and he seems depressed and kind of disinterested, but at the same time, he has these kind of he still loves his family, and he's the uncle character in this in this scenario, and he gives them little pieces of advice. And things like that. He tells a great story in the beginning about being a kid and having to really use the bathroom and poop outside for the first time. 
And uh, they actually show him, well, they don't show him taking a poop, but they show the after effects of this child taking a dump on this egg, he thinks. It is the most cartoonish. I mean, all it's missing is eyeballs and a mouth, and it'd be a poop emoji, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a cartoonishly large hunk of poop. And, uh, and you, quite, uh, yeah. yeah, just when you think it's gone away, it, it comes back in another part of the story with, you know, uh, <laughs> some research when they found some bones and things like that. The movie yeah. is, it's one of those films where I think if you come into it halfway, you'd probably be like, oh, this is interesting looking. And, yes. you know, there's this giant child and there's these weird moments and you think, okay, well, I might, might go back and look at this. And I think that's the hook of the movie because I think really the the film is very much a family film it just so happens that this family has a very vivid imagination well i think that that's interesting uh you know because you when you talk about the uncles for a shitting story i think that it's a classic uh mixing of every day with the fantastic yes uh and you know i've never collected wild eggs out in the woods i have had to shit so bad that it hurt uh so you know we can we can uh, empathize yes Uh, and i i love that the uncle the uh, Asano character, um, I love that he's almost wistful in his descriptions of uh, of this stuff as it's going on. Uh, and I think that this particular scene also illustrates that although the movie, I think, is family-oriented, uh, it's not necessarily family-friendly, depending on what you allow your kids to watch. But then, yes. you know, I think that most kids wouldn't get exactly what's going on or want to watch something with subs in it uh, to begin with. But... Um, but I think that that's you know I a hundred percent agree with you uh, in what you were what you're saying about it uh, with the the family orientation about it right I mean I think that that is pretty much it's interesting to me that the story elements of the I mean the mo- the movie is very simple in a story way. It's yeah. a, it's about everybody kind of well it's, it's Shaggy Dog esque in, in yeah. a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's about not, everybody kind of really about any one although it, it certainly has a perspective on yeah it, you know? i mean everybody's kind of processing something yes, but it yeah. also deals with japanese pop culture quite a bit you got yakuza in here yeah. or quote-unquote yeah. yakuza you got uh a manga uh a large manga character at one point um mm-hmm. uh you got that kind of cosplay type element you got all these things are very important to japanese culture um obviously anime um uh, quiet, serene kind of landscapes, very much like samurai films from the past. And obviously they live in a very rural area, so maybe there's some commentary there about, you know, loving these things that spark the imagination, you know, playing the game of Go. At least I think that's what it's called. Uh, yes. You know, looking at anime, reading books, all these things. Uh, maybe because it's not a, a bustling city, so things are not as readily available. So sometimes maybe we live in our imagination a bit more. Right, out, right. Out, of well, the, think, out of the sticks, quote unquote. I think, yeah, no, I think that, and and on a technical level, I think that this leads to Ishii. Uh, he really likes using the long shot, and I think that you know his use here is at least partially to show uh, that you know the magic uh, that the characters encounter is part of the environment because there's something about a more rural or like provincial, I guess you could call it life, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a connection with nature uh, that's being got at, I think, here in this movie. Uh, and in that same way, there are often, you know, these really quiet, you know, still shots of like nature or characters just, you know, sitting there and they're just living, right? And I would argue that it's a very, 
uh, Japanese stylistic flourish, and certainly this, this comes from you know guys like uh, Ozu. Um, it's a, like a direct descendant. This is uh, these these uh, moments are, uh, or you know, maybe maybe they just do it better than anybody else, in my opinion. Uh, the, the Japanese do, um, but I think that that's that's absolutely in there. That you know this uh, this sort of uh, being next to nature leads to. Uh, you know this this sense of wonder and magic and this, this anything is possible sort of um, sensibility uh, that the uh, the movie really really kind of gets at. Yeah, and I think you know I I I was surprised at again this is the first time watch for me so I was surprised at how poignant everybody's story arc is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the young girls obviously trying to process something. Uh, the the grandpa character is is trying to process some 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 things. Uh, again, the uncle, the mother, the dad, everybody gets their own story arc and that's pretty impressive. And that, and that probably leads to the fact that the movie is, you know, 143 minutes long, but at the same time, even at 143 minutes, there are moments when it felt a little long. I can't say the film's a masterpiece because there's, there are quite a few scenes where they're just kind of the patience of what Ishii's going for of kind of establishment shots and, I mean, there is a really long bike ride, which you could be seen as metaphor. Yeah. Uh, in well, that, the movie. that dude, that that fucking that that bike, Hajime's bike, is like a recumbent chopper. Yeah. Right. And it, dude, it, that's fucking sweet. Yeah, it is. Uh, although I have to say, it's tough to pedal. And judging by the fact that he almost feels like he's going to have a heart attack when he gets <laughs> when he gets home, <laughs> but dude, he gives he goes for it. Yeah. And he rode his bike all the way home, and uh, you know. That, that it's obvious like he's completely wore out completely exhausted but at the same time you could say that he's he spent from euphoria you yes. know from the the idea that because in the beginning of the film you know he's lost quote unquote his the girl he's he's kind of swooned by he's kind of fallen smitten by this girl that gets away and then this new character this is the Anna Sashia character she shows up and she sparks his interest again then when he finds out she plays go which is something he plays with his father uh almost on a nightly basis uh he just he finds his way in again and he becomes smitten all over again and like a lot of young men you know uh you know i can relate to this because i would become smitten with young girls uh fall in love uh from from a look uh things like that i mean that that would that would happen uh, quite a bit of my youth. Um, yeah. And there's still women I see to this day at my middle age where I think to myself, wow, I mean, that that is, she is striking. Yes. And I think yeah. that that's a human, you know, obviously I'm married now, so I don't follow up on any of those passions or any of those uh, impulses, but I'm still a human being. I still see somebody every now and then. I'm like, wow, that uh, that's a game changer right there. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I mean, and, and people at Hajime's, uh, age level, they they love big and they lose big, right? And yes. So you know we get, you know we we feel for him because we've had that we've all had that you know disappointment with regards to crushes and you know, of course he's 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 because he's the first scene in the movie he provides the primary arc of the picture you know as we watch him struggle with his insecurities and you know overcome them and all that shit. Uh, but I, what I find interesting out of that that first scene there is that you know it the movie starts off with sounds like. Uh, something that we would expect from a horror movie uh, because it starts off with this heavy labored breathing and, you know, running that we hear and all this stuff. And for the, the Hajime character, it is a horror movie of sorts uh, because, you know, the girl is leaving on this train and all that. But uh, I think that it's important 
in that it sets up the idea of metaphors that Ishii uses throughout the movie, like the train coming out of his head and, that, and, the, and this fable-esque approach uh, to the story of the Haruno family on the whole. Uh, because it is very much, you know, as much as it's about reality and us being able to relate to that, it also is very much a fairy tale. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's different fairy tales kind of swirling around at the same time. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and so you have, uh, and all of them deal on some level, I think, with uh, love in different aspects of it. Right. Love for your job, love for this girl, love for your family, love for you know nature, love for all of these things, uh, and I think that that's very much what uh, what Ishii is, is is trying to get at. So yeah, and I think he nails it for the most part. Oh I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think this is uh, as interesting a take on a slice of life as anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the surreal nature of it adds to it, and uh, yeah, I was kind of blown away by this thing in general. I mean, I. I, 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 it has odd moments, certainly, um, that are tied obviously to the director's vision of what he's doing. But all the the human elements of the film are very touching: the falling yes. in love, the working to get over the horizontal bar, the the old man um, moving on to the uh, to another life, the mom that works and takes care of her family and cooks dinner every night. Dinner scenes are very important in this movie. The dad who's a hypnotist slash therapist (laughs) of some sort. Yep. Um, There's that. But then there's all these little odd moments in between, like the weird comedy routine with the blood. Uh, There's an animated sequence in here as well. Oh, the the jungle girl turned comedian. Yeah, there's that. That's fucking gold. Yeah. Uh, the reaction is gold. Is yeah, right. <laughs> the way they just look at a deadpan is amazing. Uh, the guy that runs the animation studio who has has a general uh, notion of bitterness, I think, toward his employees. Um, there's this all these little like weird kind of eccentric moments, but that's what life is, right? Life is. You know, people are eccentric by nature. Uh, a lot of people can hide their ex- eccentricities very well, but the truth is we all have some type of thing that drives us or that is part of our lives that mm-hmm. if people were to really sit down and evaluate, they'd be like, well, that's kind of odd. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that, that that's, that's totally what being a human being is all about. And I think these characters are all processing their eccentricities and how they're going to get through their life. And yes. I think what the film ultimately tells us by the time you get to the end is you should appreciate all the time you have mm-hmm. um, because it's all you're going to get. And the little moments, the moments of boredom, the moments of struggle, uh, the moments of contemplation, the moments of uh, you know sadness and broken heartness, the, all of these things are a part of life. Yes. And... I think what the grandpa character encapsulates is appreciate all this because this is this is what it is. It, well, I think that that's that's kind of the thing is that you know, I think that people on the surface will see the oddity in the film, and I think that it, it all it is all to the point of stating that um, you know these very human uh, aspects of the of the film that you know kind of. Uh, 
connect all of these uh, these these things up, right? Yeah. Uh, the, they're all getting at uh, a very a very uh, base level human experience yeah. that we all have, and I think that that's why the film succeeds. If it was just a collection of oddity, I, it would not be as good as it is. Yeah. Uh, it has to it has to get at something a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, whether whether or not it shoves it in your face or not, you know, that's you know that is the difference between being uh, being um, poor or great as far yeah. as uh, well. I think the od- yeah, the oddity is just the hook. Um, yeah, and the yeah. Visual... it's a visual thing more than yeah. anything else, and a flight of uh, a flight of fancy, uh, illustrative of uh, of the, the the just the, the characters. In general. And you can certainly tell it comes from, uh, in my opinion, it comes from an animator's mindset. Like it's very yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You could it's very see imaginative that, yeah. and very, you know, obviously it's not interested in any type of logic. It's just interested in yes. visual. Yeah. Well, because because people aren't logical, right? At the yeah. end of the day. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we're very illogical, actually, by the right. end of the day. <laughs> right. But I really don't have much more to add. I mean, I really enjoyed this film. I liked it a whole lot and was kind of surprised by it. Uh, I was very glad. I'm glad. Yeah. very, very glad that you like. it. Yeah. I, I mean, I read the uh, synopsis and stuff and everything, so I kind of knew what I was in for, but was but really... Still, yeah, it's still a lot to surprise you. Well, I'm just I'm surprised by how touching it was. Yes, yes. It very much is that, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so... Yeah, I mean the the family overall is on the odd side, uh, but I think that you know, like I was I was kind of getting at here, their quirkiness kind of endears us and brings us in, and Ishii allows these things to play out uh, often with no comment at first, like uh, the, uh, the the uncle character who we just kind of have this weird sort of uh, thing going on with, uh, and it's I, I think it's his visuals, Ishii's visuals that take us inside the world of the uh, Harunos, like you know Sachiko's giant head peeking over the bush and so on. Uh, in a lot of ways, you could easily compare uh, the Haruna family to the Sycamores and their borders in Frank Capra's You Can't Take It With You. Um, though I think that this film is both quieter and more audacious than that movie is. Uh, but I think that there's a definite uh, a different through line uh, there. Um, another reason that I think the film is so special is because Ishii really has a knack for combining the ridiculous and the intimate, like the... Uh, one one example is the um, the village people sort of uh, noodle house incident uh, and so on. Um, and the movie's very good at empathizing in the middle of insanity. Uh, so the the characters may be you know cartoon or cartoonish or uh, caricaturish in some ways, uh, but they're all very much human. And I think that Ishii does a really great job of allowing them uh, all to have these very human moments. And, you know, maybe they act a bit off and, you know, that marks the, the film as odd as well. But I think that we totally relate to these uh, these characters on some basic level. Um, so the uncle, uh, the Ayano, uh, the Tadanobu Asano uh, character, uh, he meets his ex. And I think that, uh, well, I don't think, uh, Ishii does let uh, the, the scene play out almost entirely in one shot. Uh, but you know, it's interesting that he emphasizes the distance between the two characters and, you know, also tells us that there's some very real, very painful things that happen to this guy that maybe account for his oddity. Um, or maybe he's just, you know, as odd as the rest of the family and that prevented him from having a normal relationship. We don't really know a hundred percent. Uh, but we find out later that he's not just a bum. He's actually a, a professional. Uh, which is uh, one of the things that happens throughout the movie is, you know, we get these, these things where 
we're just uh, shown very matter of fact that this is the way something is, and it is until you know a few scenes down the road uh, that we we get a little bit of uh, of backstory as to you know what actually is going on, or getting a little bit of uh, of um, fleshing in, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's like the uh, the manga artist, the Iki Todoroki character, who's truly out of left field. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about odd, uh, you know, just from between uh, Grandpa's eyebrow and this character, um, they are visually two of the most striking aspects of the um, of the, the entire movie. Yes. Uh, but we find out down the road uh, what this character's the manga artist character is to the family. You know, but it, it's another of these instances where we just have to go along to get an answer, or maybe not get an answer, but just enjoy the experience. And you know, even among. Uh, some of these characters, the, the Todoroki character, stands out as being outlandish in appearance. And, and we do spend maybe a bit more time with him than we might expect uh, because he's not um, a main – He's not. he doesn't live with the rest of the family. Yeah. Uh, so you know, to, to spend as much time with him as we do kind of feels a little bit weird. Um, that being said, the beating in the studio is fantastic. Uh, but again, you know, in a movie characterized by not being strictly traditional, uh, that really sticks out. Yeah. Um, so like with the, uh, when the, uh, Asano character, when he meets his ex, like similarly to that scene, uh, we get this game of go, uh, between, uh, the, the Suchia character and the Hajime character. Uh, and that's, again, it's largely one static shot and it's this really quiet, touching scene that you really can't help but fall in love with a little bit uh and it's capped off by the absolutely brilliant moment i think uh when he walks her to the bus in the rain uh then he throws his umbrella to her at the very last second and you know that I, I i i freely admit again that this is the first uh point in the movie where i got a little misty um, and this also marks, I think the moment that the film gets a little more emotional in a more overt or conventional manner, although it does still manage to maintain what makes it special, uh, from, you know, from there on out. Uh, so a lot of credit there to, uh, to Ishii and likewise, the scene where they screen the mother's animation, uh, is great because again, we get some backstory we didn't have, right? We didn't know, uh, you know, we've seen her animating all throughout the movie, but we didn't know. Uh, it's never mentioned at all that, that, you know, there's something going on in her life that has now led into this, uh, this scene where everybody's gathering to watch the, uh, uh, or I should say her peers are gathering to watch, um, what, uh, what she's, uh, been working on this entire time. And plus it looks outstanding, uh, yeah. which is not surprising considering yeah. Ishii's, you know, anime background. Uh, and it, 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 again, this gives us another uh, triumphant, heartfelt moment. Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of what the movie does best: is it kind of gives us these these odd things, and then gives us these these really, uh, you know, like you said, poignant uh, poignant things. This is the sort of film where um, I think you'll know if you're down for it within the first scene, and I think that it's one that needs you to just roll with it because I mean. Yeah, at 143 minutes, it it does suffer some pacing issues, I think. Um, but its charm is that it's not straightforward; that it uh, goes off on tangents because it's all about. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's all about the the journey and the stops along the way, just like life, right? 
Um, you know, granted, most of the stops in our lives aren't quite like this, but, you know, still. Um, that's why I think that, you know, uh, just sitting here and listing all the insanity in the movie, and, you know, we've done that a little bit here and there. Uh, but I think that if you just sat there and listed all of the, the odd, quirky things in the movie, I think that would be doing it a bit of a disservice um, because they all uh, have more of a cumulative effect that I think makes this movie so damn special. Um, I think that this is truly a unique film with a unique voice, uh, about one of the universal constants of storytelling, which would be love. Uh, and I think that it's uplifting to boot. And I think that, uh, you know, that's not something that we, we get, uh, that works as well as it does here, because usually that sort of thing can tend towards, um, feeling, uh, very overly sentimental or even mawkish or, uh, all that sort of thing. And it doesn't here. Uh, it yeah. feels very, uh, it feels very honest, uh, about the, uh, the sort of joy, um, that it's trying to relate to, uh, to the viewer. And I think that it does it extremely well. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been wanting to, uh, get into more of Ishii's, um, filmography and, and it's a very short filmography unfortunately and i don't know a hundred percent why that is but um but yeah no i have definitely uh i definitely find this guy to be extremely fascinating um and extremely talented and i'll tell you what man if he's making a gamma movie i'm a hundred percent in yeah it looks uh, like he might more be more than a hundred percent he did the 50th anniversary short but i don't it looks like uh his IMDb says that he is making one. Well, he made one, or no, maybe it doesn't have a date on it. I didn't see. Mm. You can see. Maybe this. it's, uh, yeah, maybe they're rebooting that series. I don't know. Yeah. They, uh, I think they but did yeah, it. no, I, 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 I own Funky Forest, uh, but I've, I haven't watched it. It's one of those things. And again, it's one of those things where you're looking at it and you're like, Jesus Christ, it's over two hours long. But I mean, even watching this one, you could totally see why. Uh, or how uh, guys like this, guys like Ishii, are able to take that sort of that sort of length barrier uh, and uh, work it to their advantage. Because I mean, yeah, this movie is long, and, and yeah, I mean, in the, the spirit of forthrightness, yes, it does suffer a little bit here and there. Yeah. Uh, but but overall, I mean, like I said, I mean, the cumulative effect is what this thing is going for, and, and it achieves it um, to a, a massive degree. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, like um, I said, everybody gets a story arc. I mean, that's yes, that's going to take some time when you have this many characters, too. Yeah, 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 and they all play out. Mm-hmm. They all play out marvelously well. Um, and that's yeah, that's pretty much all that I got, man. I mean, we've covered pretty much uh, everything else that uh, that I had notes on. So yeah. Um. All right. Uh, make or break. Oh, man, there's a lot of really good moments in this. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to think it's of it. Fucking tough. Uh, it is, uh, I want to go, I'm going to go with the one that, uh, that was the most poignant to me. And that was when they found the, the notebooks. Okay. Uh, yeah. But uh, there is a scene in this movie that I absolutely love that kind of stands out. And that's the, <laughs> that's the, uh, the dancing photographer, uh, in the subway with the manga guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, so uniquely odd. I love it quite a bit. Because yeah. they're all undressed and everything, and then all of a sudden, once they realize the cameraman's in there, they're all dressed and posing, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is pretty wonderful. Yeah. Um. So I'll go with the uh, the notebooks being found, though. That's very touching. It was really quite poignant. Although I do like the scenes where sometimes the family just sits on the porch, like you know, I mean, yeah. and obviously the taste of tea and 
you know, there's something to be said about that and about the, you know, sitting around and enjoying tea and things like that. I mean, it's it's a family thing. Uh, MVT Ishi, uh, clearly, although I do think there's some great acting in the movie, um, and and the way the movie looks is great too. So. But it feels like a vision unique. Well, some, some, a couple of spotty CG things, but I mean, outside of that, yeah, there's, yeah. But I mean, it, it it feels like it comes from one unique imagination, like a yes. like a Fellini film, or you know, any any filmmakers that we really enjoy, who kind of you know, auteur filmmakers who do their own thing. I mean, it feels like yes. it comes from yes. one guy, and of course, I I love that, and it works for me. Um, my score for the film is an eight point two five out of ten. I like this one nice. a lot. Uh, it was really, really good. Good, I'm and, glad. Um, it's got a hour and a half documentary on the making of the film on the on the disc, which I'm looking forward yeah. to checking out. Yeah, kind of look into it a little bit deeper, see what he was kind of really going for. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Okay, so uh, make or break for me. Um, I I think that I'm gonna go with. I think the moment that you see the train pop out of Hajime's head, I think would be it because I think that it's there that you are either going to get how this is going to go and love it or hate it. Um, because it is so, I mean, so out of left field, um, and something that's so, you know, striking in that way, uh, that, uh, yeah, I I think that, uh, that would be the deciding point for most, uh, most uh, moviegoers, uh, whether or not they're willing to go along on the, on this journey, because it is a lengthy journey. So, uh, and MVT, yeah, I mean, it's Ishii. Um, you know, clearly this is a filmmaker with a distinct, uh, vision who, you know, unfortunately, you know, we don't hear much from, or at least I don't. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's really, uh, what he puts on display is, uh, is really, really impressive. Uh, and I admire him uh, greatly for that. And score for me, I'm just a hair lower than you. I'm an eight out of ten, and mostly that's just because of uh, some of the pacing uh, yeah. issues. Other than that, yeah. I, I find this movie just massively enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I would and will uh, always recommend to everybody that I possibly can. Uh, and a hundred percent, I would recommend to anybody listening right now to get the hell over to Diabolic. And uh, order yourself a copy of this, uh, a copy of this one, especially. Well, I should say only if you have a a region free player or a uh, a B region, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, player. But uh, either way, I'm I would recommend you finding any way you can to uh, to get this movie seen. Yep. But that would be the first one that I would recommend. Yes. Um. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. All right, that's our thoughts on the taste of tea. That's the big show. As always, head over to Diabolic DVD. Get those hard-to-find genre needs that uh, you've come to know and love. Um, We know what we're doing next week. We originally scheduled it for this week, but the Diabolics came in. So uh, I'll let you go ahead and pick what or talk about what you picked for next week. I I am keeping it in Japan, uh, keeping it real. Uh, Holla. Um, (laughs) Yeah. With uh, a little movie from 1970 uh, called Space Amoeba from one Ishiro Honda. Nice. Um, which uh, I've been wanting to get on the show for a, a good long while now. Um, and it was also time to uh, to get into some uh, some giant monster mayhem again. Nice. I felt. So uh, throwing that one out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Who knows? Arrow put that uh, box set of the Gamera thing out. We might be doing some Gamera sometime in the future, too. We could do that. That'd be fun. Um, sure. I went the other way and uh, talked about my fascination with uh, Jason Patrick lately, but I will oddly... <laughs> Uh, Let's just call it what it is. It, it, it isn't that, but it is. Uh, it is funny that it did kind of work out that way. But I'm not going to say that subliminally. Probably the watching the Beast of War probably did bring this back up in my memory. Uh, but I was going to watch. I've only seen this once, and I was going to rewatch it anyway because I remember enjoying it. So, uh, but I chose Narc, uh, the uh, Joe Carnahan film yeah. from uh, 2008, maybe eight. I think. Yeah, maybe. Uh, two, no, two thousand two. Wow, really? Is it that How old? How about that? Yeah. Wow, it really is that old. That yep. makes me feel old. Very old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we did American Psycho uh, last week, and that was twenty years old, and this is not much far far removed from that. Wow. Nope. Like I would have totally guessed, like twenty ten, maybe two thousand eight was what I guessed. So I, I, Jesus. Anyway, it'll be interesting to go back and revisit that. I remember enjoying it, uh, enjoying it the first time I saw it. So, I don't know. Uh, you never know what you're going to get when you go back and revisit something. Sometimes you fall in love with it more. Sometimes you're like, eh, maybe I didn't like it as much as I thought I did. Very true. So, we'll see. But I'm uh, looking forward to checking that again. So, Narc and Space and Amoeba, which I think are both on Amazon. Uh, yes, they are. And I think they're both Prime watches? Uh, yes. Yeah, how about that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. No, I think I, think I had to pay for Narc. Okay, did you? I okay. think I did. I don't right. remember. Yeah. Uh, no, it says included with Prime right here on IMDb. Is it? Okay. Then yeah. I didn't. Then I'm thinking of, I might be thinking of American Psycho then. Yep. Yep. So there you go. And I know Space Amoeba is. You told me it was. So that's why I'm saying. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. All right. So that is the big show. We hope everybody enjoys. Head over to DiabolicDVD.com, like I said. And I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 